Hello and welcome to another episode of We Have Such Films to Show You, the podcast where I say the name correctly this episode. Uh, I am uh, Josh Millard, one of your hosts. And I am the other host, Yaakov. And we are talking today about I, Frankenstein, a movie uh, Frankenstein. That, uh, uh, yeah. I, Frankenstein. Uh, yes. Uh, a movie that you suggested uh, just the other day when we realized we had to pick a movie and watch it so we were, could record today. And the reason we had to scramble like to do this. you were still referring to the listener in that one. I was just oh, like, sorry. no, they yes. did. You, the listener. No, sorry. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm. People can't. I, I, would, I would blame it on people not being able to see me looking at you, but we're not recording this in, <laughs> in the same state. So, so I can't even blame that. People couldn't see me imagining looking at you knowingly and telling you something. So they'll just have to. You it's know, your fault, audience. Is visualize, realize a, 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 an elaborate series of layers of communicative reality here, and then you'll be all set. Uh, yeah, I freaking so. Inception. So this movie, um, we, obviously, we will talk about it. Um, I, I felt kind of bad about how we spent most of Nightbreed complaining about it. I'm not going to feel bad about spending most of this episode no. complaining about this. It's a very different sort of. Uh, degree of bad and, and relationship I have. Well, partly I have zero relationship yeah. with this movie, but I want to I w- I explain what we were talk- talking about doing because I still think it was a fun idea, even if it wasn't necessarily practical. You had suggested, uh, sometime after we recorded our, our previous episode about Nightbreed, uh, you had suggested that we review Night Trap. Uh, a friend of mine actually suggested okay. that when I had yeah when I had posted the Facebook post to my wall he's just like I thought you guys were doing night trap I'm just like <laughs> oh my god that is an amazing idea oh that's right um, uh, so for for people who don't know night trap is unusual not uh, just because you haven't heard of it if you haven't heard of it it's it's you haven't heard of it as a horror movie because it's not a horror movie it's a video game that came out for what the Sega CD was that it was what the it was? Sega CD yep uh, I, I don't think it came out for anything else but um, yeah go well, on. It, it did not it did not take the world by storm except for for uh, news cycles because what it was was it was a it was basically a slasher flick slash uh, slash uh, um, uh, some sort of like adventure game, like you know, and sol- slasher is really up. tender because I don't think there's any blood in this. I think it's just those like the ninja demon things just kidnap the the sorority girls or whatever that they are. There's no, I don't think there's any murder in yeah. it, is there? Oh, I, I honestly also, don't know. It came out for the Sega CD originally, and then was ported to the 32X, the 3DO, <laughs> and the PC. Uh, Hands up, who's heard of all of those? Yeah, yeah, that's that's not a good <laughs> series of consoles to stake your legacy on, uh, as far as things anybody ever had. Uh, so, so the, the the big deal with the game at the time, I want to say, what was this like mid nineties? Maybe it came out uh, ninety two. Ninety two. Oh, so this was this was really early. Uh, it was it was a game full of full motion video, which like back in the mid nineties, that was still something anybody would you know say with anything resembling awe or mystery. It was a big deal because this was a game that, unlike uh, most games, it didn't have pixel graphics or even like rendered polygon graphics. Uh, which were still sort of on the way in for mainstream gaming. It was actual captured full motion video, FMV, a bunch of like clips of, of actual video film uh, that you would see as you played through the game. And, and this was a huge deal at the time because obviously pixel graphics weren't capable of looking like an actual television show. Uh, and 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 so this was the only Polycon way. Polygon graphics, even less so. Yeah. So so this was the only way you could get things that looked like actual human, realistic people in your video games. And and it was a big bullshit thing because it's like it's 
it, it, it was clumsy. It was awkward. It was not very good. The game play was reduced uh, hugely by having to be married to showing video. Uh, you know, people uh, of an age will remember Dragon's Lair as a game in actual arcades, um, and it was it was this beautiful game, uh, basically a cartoon drawn by uh, Don Bluth, uh, that 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 animator in his studio, where they created a whole bunch of cartoon content of essentially some guy having a, a hapless adventure through a trap filled medieval dungeon trying to save a perky princess. And if you if you took the whole thing and just ran it as a cartoon end to end, it would probably be like you know five minutes long or something, uh, which is still a lot of animation work. But uh, but 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 you could take like a, a a five minute long adventure story of this guy successfully making his way through traps, and then you add another five to ten minutes worth of alternate scenes because the way the game played is every few seconds you had to correctly put in some input, and if you did, you would continue with the story, and if you failed, you'd get a death scene of some sort and then you'd put in another quarter and start over. Yeah, it was basically just a um I mean it, it it you know you had to put there in the right input and then it would just jump to a different part of the laser disc that the game ran off of. Yeah. So this so is, it was just like selecting DVD chapters with finesse. Yeah, it was it was literally a very a very fancy game of uh Simon, you know, just press the buttons in the right order or start over and try and press them in the right order again, but with with stuff playing. You know, and and the thing is, Dragon's Lair is famously reviled as this game that's a total bullshit cheat. You know, it, it it was both clever and interesting and and beautiful, but it was beautiful because it wasn't really a video game. It was, as Yakov says, uh, just a series of uh, segments. I put of the at GDD. least four or five quarters into that damn thing the first time I saw it at the arcade, and I died like at the first scene each time, being like, "Wait, why is the game? Maybe it's not working." And another yeah. quarter, and. I'm. I still am mad at that game, even if I have the emulator at home and I could play it anytime I yeah. want. So, so it was. It was. It was a clever cheat. They came up with a way to have amazing graphics by not actually having a game. Uh, and the Night Trap. Uh, this is years later. You know, uh, maybe as many as when did Dragon's Lair comes out? Oh, I, I, I don't like, think it was that much earlier. I want to say like mid '80s, but I may be antedating it a little. Bit. Eighty-three. Oh wow! Years. So yeah, ten so, yeah, years. Like, ten years yeah. later, Night Trap comes along. And it's the same sort of uh, snake oil pitch again. It's like, look at this amazing game. Nothing has graphics like this because it's full motion video. And this time it's titillating. Yeah, because the sorority girls, huh? Um, it's a, a sl- sorority girl slumber party or some sort of slumber party or yeah. otherwise. Yeah, something in that flavor. Like, so it's very much pitched like a sorority girl slasher flick video game. Uh, reportedly, it was not very good. It was simultaneously. Yeah, the gameplay was just like you have to capture these demon things. You're 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 in this. Uh, oh God, do they really call it scat? You're in like some sort of this Sega Control attack team. Oh Jesus! Starring Dana Plato. <laughs> oh God, that's right. Um, oh, and you have to you have to capture these things called augers, which are basically dudes dressed in black who are trying to steal these sorority girls by setting off traps around the house. It's. If you want to think about what a descendant of this game that actually works is, uh, Five Nights at Freddy's is basically what what this game, a lot of what this game wanted to be, uh, save for you know the the you know the the salacious aspects of it, um, and actually working. Like uh, even though, and I mean, like in a lot of ways, Five Nights at Freddy's is very very much a, a throwback game to the '90s, but this is just like the piece of crap version of that. So, um, so with this, with full motion video instead of yeah. you know good CGI. 
it's, it's, um, it's funny to call it CGI in a video game because I can call yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's being G'd <laughs> on a C. Come on. Uh, so, the, so the game came out. Uh, it didn't do particularly well, but it did great for promoting uh, stories about the dangerous new terrible directions video games yep. are going in and our games getting too realistic and this yeah there was congressional hearings around that time and it was one of the games cited including along with like Mortal Kombat which you know everybody knows Doom also and Lethal Enforcers which if you don't remember it was a light gun arcade game that got ported to I think Sega Systems because it was released by Sega and it was all um digitized the graphics were all digitized so it wasn't full motion video but it was like more like Mortal Kombat where they took photos of like you know people doing stuff and use that as the graphics instead of drawing them uh, and it was just a modern day like crime shooting spree sort of thing where it was just there's a bunch of criminals and you got to shoot them and they die realistically yeah but it, it it's 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 heavily compressed artifacted uh, digital uh, photography that is that of, full screen yeah instead of, instead of high quality pixel art so you know it's it's worse it, 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 there's a very weird like I feel like we're past that at this point like 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 general computer graphics have gotten better and faster and more accessible and digital videos gotten so much better and and everybody has fucking phones that they can look at high quality digitally that looks better than anything they watched on a VCR as a kid uh, so so at this point I feel like we've gotten past where people can really quite have that same specific nature of freakout that like full motion video games and digitized uh, graphics in video games managed to have it that weird part of the 90s because it was such a strange like looking back it's also because like video games were so 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 considered like a kid specific thing it wasn't like you know now where it's just like well video games are a medium and there's kids games and adult games and like very much adult only games um and and but back then they you know the distinction didn't exist at the console level yet maybe like at the pc level where nobody cared as much about the things that came out but yeah but the console like the marketing console was much more kid centric yeah. at the time and i think that's part of it uh, anyway, it was really weird, and Night Trap has always been... And the thing is, I've never played the thing. Like, I've read a bunch about it, I've seen snippets of it, I've seen screenshots, I've seen discussion of it, uh, but I've never actually played the thing. So so when Yakov brought up the idea of uh, trying to just, like, get it working on an emulator or something, I was like, eh, what the heck, let's give it a shot if you can figure out how to make it work. But then, then uh, like, Friday rolls around, and you were like, ah, this is not gonna... There's not a good way to make this, like, work well. Let's just do or a movie. fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so so maybe we'll find some way to come back and look at that some other time. But in the meantime, I mean, we could watch a long play of it and discuss the long play that we watched. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's possible. Long play. I didn't. I like. I, I associate let's play. Uh, I mean, I think they're two different but things. Yeah, it like, be let's pro- play is the one where like somebody plays it and yeah, narrates it. And long play is just sort is of the like one. A, yeah, somebody just plays through it, and I don't think there's any commentary or. or there, there's a specific difference between the two. Yeah. I think long play is just like somebody playing through a game and that's it. Yeah, I'm just not super in the loop because I, I don't – like I, I cannot imagine except for very specific short exceptions thinking, you know what I should do? Watch someone else play a video game. And that's not to say that no one should do this. I understand obviously a ton of people get a lot of like a lot of joy and satisfaction and pleasure and interest or whatever out of it because it's a huge thing. But for me, it's like I have so many games that I have not finished playing or started playing that I own on Steam – I don't need to sit and watch someone else play a game because I'll just be like, why am I not playing a video game? 
Why am I, I mostly do know? it with like old console games. Like if I'll hear somebody being like, "Oh man, that like Batman and Robin game for you know Genesis sure did have some great music," and I'll be like, "Well, in order to play it, and in order to hear more than one track, <laughs> I would have to download it, get the emulator, get it working in the emulator, actually get good at this you know shitty ass game. Otherwise, you know, I just queue it up in YouTube and skip around and you know like look at it, and listen to music, and then you know I have." Robbed myself of a frustrating experience. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I can I can see that angle. And and again, yeah, I don't mean to dismiss the whole phenomenon. It's just something that I haven't really, I haven't found a place for in my own life. So it, it remains a little bit unusual, even if I'm aware of it. Uh, yes. So that's that's why we didn't play <laughs> Night Trap, I guess, and that's that's why we're talking about I Frankenstein because we were like we got to pick a movie hmm, what should we watch and you were like hey what about I Frankenstein it's pretty bad and I was like yeah sure let's do it and then and then I, I, I watched had, it and I had watched maybe like 20 minutes of it at that point because we had just turned it on one night while eating dinner and then turned it off after about 20 minutes because oh boy <laughs> I'm so glad that you decided the thing to do was to make me watch it yeah uh, yeah this movie um, this movie it's not a good movie. It's not a good no, movie at um, all. I'm, I'm looking for that tweet right now that I had read like long before I had even thought of watching the movie. Um, uh, oh boy, where is it? I, while you look for that, I'll, I'll say one of the things about this movie that I'm not going to freak out. I, I will. I will c- complain about specific things just for the fun of it. But this is not a movie that I went into with any concern about whether or not I was going to be faithful to the original material. Like that, that, that's, that's a nice thing. This is not something where I was like, I sure hope they do Frankenstein justice. I mean, I assume you're referring to Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and not the comic book it was based on? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, yes, no, the, 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 original, the original Shelley novel, uh, uh, which, which was a thing of its time, and, you know, I, I, I've... I've actually got a surprising amount to talk about that isn't about the actual movie we watched, and I'll get to some of that. But uh, uh, the the thing is, like, you know, Shelley's novel is a very specific thing, and people have made film versions of Frankenstein uh, with varying degrees of attempts to be honest to the book. Uh, who is it back? Like, late 90s, I want to say someone did it, and, like, Pacino was the monster or something like that? I don't remember. There was. I think it was. I think it was. Are you thinking of Frankenstein Unbound with the time travel? No, no. I'm thinking. I think of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, which came out around the same time as Bram Stoker's Dracula. When we yeah, yeah, that's the one. And I haven't seen it, but I I saw bits of it. I read reviews of it, um, and that seemed to be De Niro. uh, De Niro. De Niro. Okay. Uh, that 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 that, as far as I understand it, was an actual like serious attempt to try and do a reasonable job of telling the the book's story. and, and and it'd be interesting to look at that in in light of that because the classic Hollywood Frankenstein does not like the classic Hollywood Frankenstein oh. just completely goes off the rails and that's where we get the classic green faced bolts on his neck Boris Karloff pitchforks and 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 torches from the villagers stuff which basically like like there are there are themes in the novel that you could tie some of that stuff to but it's a loose interpretation and that became sort of like the canonical popular understanding. Oh of Frankenstein as a story for people who didn't sit down and plod through the original book. There was a 1910 film version. That was the first one, apparently. Yeah, Yeah, produced by Edison Films in 1910. Uh, starring Augustus Phillips and Charles Ogle, who, as you you know very well know, are uh, I got nothing. Yeah. (laughs) No idea who these people are. Um, Yeah, there's been a lot of adaptations. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. Have you read the book? Because I, I, I wouldn't know if there was a uh, if there was a, a um, accurate adaptation. I wouldn't know just because I've yeah. never read the book or really have had any. I have read the book. It's been many years since I actually read it through. I think I read it. Uh, I, I think I may have read it twice. Actually, like I, I may have had to read it at some point in high school, and then I think I read it again at some point in my like earlier mid twenties. Uh, but it's been many years in any case. Um, so I remember broad outlines of it uh, and have thought about it a fair amount, but uh, but all the fine details aren't in there. So this movie does attempt to sort of play off the book uh, in its introduction, but even the little bit that it does, it really sort of fucks up uh, in a way that is really consistent with the way this film seems to fuck up everything it does storytelling-wise. Um, so in the original book, the, the original book is interesting partly because... Uh, you know, this was written in what the late nineteenth century, and eighteen uh, eighteen published originally in eighteen eighteen. Eighteen eighteen. Yep. Oh wow! I, I was putting it late nineteenth. Okay, early nineteenth century then. Um, but yeah, the, the, it, it, it's a book that reads like it was not written during the contemporary horror literature uh, times. Like it, it, it's plotting. It's slow. It's winding. It's semi-epistolatory. There's a lot of monologuing. A lot of kind of dull background about Frankenstein's life and and his sort of like uh, his passions and his 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 depression and his illness and his worrying. Um, it's a, it basically the, the the book is significantly about Victor Frankenstein rather than about the monster, but not in a super. I didn't find him particularly charismatic or interesting as a character. He was just sort of like uh, less a scenery chewing mad scientist and more a scientist who went too far and then spent the rest of his life regretting it. Uh, but anyway, you know, it, 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 it reads old. It, 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 it's not a, it's not a Stephen King book. You know, it's, it's, it's much more sort of like leisurely about telling its Gothic horror story. Uh, but it's still, it's an interesting read, you know, and, and, and the structure of it is interesting because it opens with a guy writing letters to his sister. He's a sea captain and he's on a, he's on an expedition to like the Arctic, and he's writing his sister letters about the preparation for and commencement of the voyage. And then eventually he, they get locked up in a bunch of ice, frozen seas up there, and they're just stuck waiting. And somewhere during that, Victor Frankenstein shows up uh, on a dog sled, and he's uh, very ill. And they take him on board and try and... And then tentacles him. send out of him. <laughs> well, they, yeah, I know. Seriously. Uh, no, they bring him on board. They nurse him back from the edge of death. And he tells his story. And send, then you have the whole novel where he tells a story of, you know, growing up in Geneva and taking an interest in the sciences and studying. And then he gets the idea that maybe he can animate life. And he sets upon it. And he, he, he in secret builds a man from dead flesh and then he animates it. And in this moment of triumph, he looks down into the eyes of the thing he's created, looking back at him and he's suddenly horrified and stricken by what he's done. Uh, and he, 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 he flees his lab and I think he has a fitful night of sleep during which at one point the monster appears over him, looking at him. Uh, and, and, and so basically he's like, oh, what have I done? I should have done this. Uh, he tries to I think just sort of go on with his life, but he's in a sort of a, a, a weird daze by the whole thing. Uh, someone turns up dead and he thinks it must be the monster. Uh, a, a, a number of things happen, including the monster killing a couple people. Uh, the monster kills someone. A friend of his gets incorrectly blamed for it and gets tried and executed for it. 
Uh, and so he's angry at himself and angry at the monster for these two people dying at, at you know, basically because he caused it. Uh, the monster eventually confronts him later on and, you know, is basically, hey, I live a horrific existence of isolation upset apart from humanity who will not accept me. Because we do get some perspective stuff of the monster in the book trying to sort of interact in a, you know, articulate and gentle and well-intending manner with humanity who then outright reject him because he's a terrible monster. There's probably some metaphors in here or something. Uh, so the monster confronts Frankenstein uh, and says, hey, look, you have got to give me a companion. You've done this once. Do it again. Build me uh, a Mrs. Frankenstein, essentially, uh, so that I can have someone on this world to coexist with. And then we will retreat into, you know, uh, obscurity and never be heard from again, but at least we'll have each other. And Frankenstein's like, I don't want to do that. And Monster's like, you should really do that. I'm an articulate and thoughtful being who can communicate my pain and desire to you. Frankenstein's like, okay, I guess uh, I'll do that. Starts work on it. Uh, is making good progress. And then has a change of heart again and decides he can't bear to make things worse because he already made one monster. And so he tears the half-finished Bride of Frankenstein apart. Frankenstein's monster gets super angry, understandably, and then threatens that I'll see you on your wedding day. Eventually, Victor does get married to Elizabeth, his, uh, depending on which version you read, cousin or sister, uh, hmm. adopted, adopted oh. sister. Oh, yeah. That, that, uh, that's so that's fine. Much better. Um, much better. And then the monster kills her and then I think flees and and... Another friend of Dr. Frankenstein's was killed. Eventually, Dr. Frankenstein pursues the monster north and north and north and north, all the way up to the Arctic, where he almost catches the monster on his dog sled, but then there's a break in the ice, and he's separated from it, and that's when he finds his way to the ship and tells this story. And then he's done telling the story. The captain has been relating this story as being told in letter to his sister, who's been writing to since the beginning of the book. Uh, Dr. Frankenstein dies. The monster shows up unexpectedly on the ship a couple days later looking at the body and weeping and gives another soliloquy about his you know isolation and horror and anger and resentment about this terrible fucking existence that he's been brought into by this man who now is the only person who could have done anything to ease it if he had a change of heart about building him a, a companion uh, so he's sad and now that his creator is dead and he is truly alone in the world he is going to wander off and die himself and so he wanders off and, and that's the last scene of it and dear sister that's my story of what happened on my voyage to the Arctic yours truly your beloved brother and that's the book so that's 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 the general shape of the book there's no torches and pitchforks uh, the monster just doesn't get to integrate well with society because society's a dick ass about him looking like a monster uh, and then these things back and forth. So the, so the film, the film that we watched sums this up as Frankenstein creates a monster. Frankenstein regrets it, wraps him up and throws him in the river. Doesn't yeah, wraps him book. up in a tarp with chains and chucks him in the river. Yes. And, and then the monster doesn't die because it's Frankenstein's monster and it doesn't die like that. And it comes back and kills his wife uh, in revenge for Frankenstein trying to kill it. Uh, and then it's implied later in the film that they had had a discussion at some point about building him a bride, but that that never happened. But we don't bother with any of that in the beginning of the film because we've got to get right down to the stupid later stuff. Yeah, and then, then, then Frankenstein escapes to the frozen north. Um, Dr. Frankenstein chases him up there, dies of, uh, I'm going to assume, exposure. exposure. Yeah. 
And then Frankenstein brings his body back, and then there's a fight scene as he's burying his his father or creator or, or whatever. Whatnot. Yeah. Um, so, so that's that, yeah. That's as much as the book as we actually really get in the movie, uh, which is fine because the movie didn't seem to be pretending to be trying to do the book. Thank justice. God. Um, no, no, the movie is. Uh, is about the endless unseen war between the gargoyles and the demons. <laughs> right. You know, just a like story we are all fully <laughs> familiar with. And, um, and, and it's gargoyles. Now, it's gargoyles versus demons, and the gargoyles are clearly agents of heaven, but they're gargoyles. Yeah, they're angels. like the actual they're, they're gargoyles. stone gargoyles. Like, they, they can transform into human-looking creatures, and when they die, they go either to or back to heaven. It's not... Much like most of this movie's uh, mythology, nothing is really made clear enough to make sense at all. So, I don't know if they're born on Earth, or if they're built as gargoyles, or if they were sent to Earth, and then there's only a few of them, because they, they keep mentioning that their ranks are thinning out, but then they just, they go to heaven when they die, but I guess they can't be sent back? I guess not. They well, only okay. get the one shot? So, so, here's the thing about this movie. I really didn't care at any point about any of it, which is a bummer, because like <laughs> I retain details better when I think about them, and I think about them when I care. So, there's a lot of bits that, like, if I was slightly distracted by something or talking about something with Angela as we were watching it, I didn't pause as much as I would have with a movie that uh, I liked better because I was like, uh, I'm really not going to regret missing a line of dialogue in this film. But I think as a result, I, I didn't. I regret listening to lines of dialogue in this film. I early on, I think Queen Lenore, Leonore, whatever her, the yeah. Queen of the Gargoyles. Um, they have a monarchy for some reason. Yes. Uh, she uh, she mentioned something about uh, something that happened, and it released like 666 beasts on legions. the world. Legions. No, no, it was 666 was it legions of hell. The number in a legion, of course, not defined, so yeah. there can be as many as they want. Uh, so so I, I was wondering if maybe that was the thing, was like there, there was a dose of demons that got vomited up at some point. No, then, it's never explained how the demons get to Earth, because what happens is when you kill a demon with a weapon that's marked with the you know symbol of the gargoyle order, which yeah, is just a cross with crossing. two extra bars on it, um, they get descended into hell, and then they can't come back out. But it's never really explained how they get up here in the first place. Well, and I think, yeah, it's never, I don't know that it was particularly explained unless that was supposed to be it, but I don't know that it is. But it seems like the basic idea is... Uh, Yes, you. For some reason, at some point, there were a bunch of demons and a bunch of gargoyles deposited on Earth, on the realm of man. Yeah, and, I guess there was like a fixed number. Yeah, and then there weren't any more, and they've been fighting each other, and various have been dying on either side ever since. And the big yep. thing is, is Prince Nibirius uh, of Hell is playing the slow game of trying to figure out how to reanimate life so he can create vessels to let demons come repossess. Which is the New big bodies. reveal of the movie, by yeah. the way. Yeah. Um, because, so, apparently, demons... So, the demons in this movie aren't possessed people, because possession is considered a totally separate thing, and they're like, you know, we can only possess something without a soul, and it's like, well, that's a dead body. What's the point of possessing a dead body? It's just like, well, I will reanimate bodies, and then, you know, we can bring them back, and you can possess them. So, I guess, demons have the one life, unless they find a body without a soul, which is just some sort of mythical loophole that God never considered? Well, I, I think what it is, is 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 demons, like, if you destroy the vessel, the demon goes back to hell. And so it's not so much that they have one life, so much as that you can, you know, destroy them, and then the soul is disembodied and goes back to hell. So, presumably, these demons that well, were on Earth in the first place... From? 
Well, yeah, I, that, I think I think someone did something clever previously. Like Satan came up with a nice, oh, I can dump some dump some uh, bodies up here. Maybe there was some big event. Maybe some, you know, yeah. There's no explanation for this, as far as I know. It just happened, and then it was, and then they were there. And that's that's this movie to a T. Is like yeah. any interesting question you could ask about the mythology of the film is not going to be answered. Like like. Like I would say, as any answer of, you can think of is going to be contradicted by something that happens in yeah. the movie. Like like the prophecy films, this like that that's probably our best touch point in in, yeah. in terms of some of like the the mythological and theological sort of trappings of the whole thing, the whole fighting of mystical creatures. But even the prophecy films, as much as a fucking mess as they were, and as much as they did not really go out of their way to paint a coherent picture of the nature of things, still felt a lot more like they were thought about. Um, yeah, the, cer- the, certainly the first uh, couple. Yeah, those movies definitely hung together better than this one. Where I mean, I think the 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 mythology, any any like mythology in this movie was it, it was just there to push the scenes forward. There was no, I don't think it was ever written with the intent of it hanging together. Yeah. Well, and okay, so here's here's one thing, and this is something the graphic novel this was based on. I have no idea. Uh, if it's good or not. It was written by the guy that played Nibirius's assistant, who is also the co-creator of the uh, Underworld mythos. Ah. Um, and he's also stars in those movies. So he is a triple threat. He is an actor, writer, and um, uh, creator. Well, go him. He's a I, two and a half threat. <laughs> I, I, I hope I, I hope the the graphic novel reads better than this movie watches. Basically. I can't imagine and, it does, honestly. Well, the, the thing is, I can I can imagine to some extent forgiving some of these things on paper, like like the dialogue in this film. Uh, almost nobody delivers a line that doesn't make me wish that it had been written differently and delivered differently. But you put down a, a, a somewhat like heavy-handed and uh, stilted line on paper, and I can just reread it in my head in a way that I can you know forgive. I can say, okay, well. This sort of like grandstanding emo mythological, you know, musing, I can just sort of put it in my head and say, okay, well, this is probably how it sounds. And I can at least sort of shrug it off. But you can't get away from a line delivery that's actually recorded. And all the line deliveries in the movie are just like really not good is, no. is basically Bill Nye does his yeah. goddamn best. And I think he annoys <laughs> me the least in the film because he really kind of underplays everything for the most He's part. He's the only one that does not take his role with, like, dead seriousness, which is the only thing that makes his performance watchable. Yeah, and, and I, I really like him. I mean, I, I like Aaron Eckhart well enough, too, but I haven't seen him in a ton of stuff, so I don't really have an opinion. You know, he was he was a perfectly good uh, Harvey Dent in, I, in the I, second I spent Batman. this whole movie thinking that was Michael Fassbender. <laughs> Just because I got into my head somehow that this movie stars Michael Fassbender, and I refuse to let the complete lack of resemblance between Aaron Eckhart and Michael Fassbender See, sway my opinion. Whereas when we first saw him as as we jump forward in time 200 years mm-hmm. to where his hair is no longer hanging down on his face, but is instead yeah. like you know short and, and, and back or whatever... Uh, he looked like nothing so much as like an aging Ted Danson. And so I spent most of the film thinking like, oh, this is like, you know, the I Ted Danson is what this is. You know, it's like it's like Becker, the film or something. Uh, I, 
I, I, I like that, A, he's got scars all over his face from the get-go, which sort of implies that, you know, his his face was assembled out of different faces. Yes. Which is just, you know, and he mentions, he's just like, I was made out of like a dozen parts from eight different bodies. It's just like, And I'm just like wondering that Dr. Frankenstein was just like, I got to get just the right faces to build me an Aaron Eckhart. Yeah, it, it's, it seems, it seems, it seems odd. And I, I think it's, it's probably partly a design challenge because like you need to communicate the Frankensteininess, even though he's going to be dressed for the most part for most of the film and he's going to be not Boris Karloff so they can't do the green skin they can't stick bolts in his neck you know no one's gonna sit for that in a quality film like this you know we've, 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 we've got to take a modern gritty realistic take on the Frankenstein thing and get away from that old cornball stuff so so you can't have the big obvious stupid Frankenstein signifiers but you still have to signify Frankenstein somehow and so yeah I guess the best they could do is like well let's throw some scars on the face because we'll always be able to see the face we got lots of you know Eckhart face on camera so that's how we communicate the fundamental Frankenstein-y otherness of the whole thing. But it does like raise the question: like you couldn't find a single face. You had to <laughs> you had to cut up several faces <laughs> to put this together. And somehow you're the guy who managed to discover the secret of animating life. It just it yeah it doesn't quite it doesn't quite track. I was I remember watching the scene where he like walks into the. So I think this movie takes I this movie takes place in Castlevania. I I don't know. <laughs> Somewhere in Europe, but everybody speaks English. Yeah, I was not clear um, on what no the setting was supposed to be. There's no license plate on any cars. Yeah, it's it's supposed to be somewhere in Europe, but no, like explicitly nowhere specific in Europe. Yeah, we've 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 got uh, we've got some sort of old castle that's still at the heart of whatever the city is. Now, here's here's something about the film. The synopsis I, I saw somewhere as I was getting ready to watch this referred to as basically, you know, Adam Frankenstein fights the forces of darkness in a modern dystopia 200 years after his creation. Um, there's not really much that's dystopian in this film. Not really, no. And it seems like they're probably going for, like, oh, yeah, it's sort of dystopian, just because that's like, you know, again, it's dark and gritty, and we don't see a lot of sunshine in the movie. We see a lot of peeling paint and shitty old tenements, but we don't get any systemic dystopia. Maybe like, it's dystopian because, like, the giant flying stone monsters and the walking fire-making demons think they're fighting a secret war, but they're really not, and there's just explosions all the fucking time everywhere. It, it, it is... It is questionable how they managed to be having a secret war that is so fucking obvious and noisy and explosive. That is that is it, a that is a problem. Every time, okay, so every time a demon dies, and there are lots and lots of demons die in this movie, they explode into fireball fireballs, like several fireballs that burrow into the ground, leaving really obvious marks. And every time a gargoyle dies, a column descends upward to heaven and hangs around for like I'm going to say at least 30, 45 seconds. Yeah, it was, it was pretty big. It was like a big effect shot from Ghost except for oh somebody died yeah and that's every single time one of them dies and this war has been going on in secret for a very long time now, so. now granted it may have been a lot more secret for most of not what we saw on film like the 200 years in between may have been pretty subdued and they tried to keep the the casualties to a minimum on both sides uh but still yeah it's it's, it's a pretty it's a pretty unmistakable violent spectacle playing out in the city. So we could build up the idea of a dystopia around a society so jaded by other things that are going wrong that they look at this and say, oh, you know what it is. Things are exploding again. Whatever. Uh, 
I feel like yeah, they, they really take pains in this movie to not have any human witnesses to the fighting, but they do that just by emptying out busy city streets as this, you know, there's like this epic battle going on in front of the giant and like the well, well oversized church that's got like, you know, 50 flying buttresses on it in the middle of town. So many flying and, buttresses. It's like a yeah. fleet of buttresses. That was like the first thing Angela was like, look at all those flying buttresses because she'd just been uh, actually learning about uh, sort of like the, the geological equivalent of filing, uh, flying buttresses in uh, some geology stuff she's been learning. Uh, and, and, and yeah, so <laughs> then here we are. Here's literally every flying buttress on the planet. They shipped it to this one Castlevanian city. Uh. And yeah, and around, I mean, it was just like a, a ring of violence and explosions around this enormous church that's got to be like four or five city blocks in size. And this is a secret war they're fighting. Yes. Uh, I mean, uh, we, we, we could generously suggest that it just got a little bit unsecret because the stakes are really, really high now. Like once once the, the demon prince is trying to unleash a literal army of uh, possessed, reanimated corpse yeah. demons on the world. At that point, you can probably sort of like let the let the cover slip a little bit and say, you know what, we're just going to make some fucking noise here. But there's no treatment of that in the film. Like the film does and, not approach it that way. It doesn't say, no. at long last, our secret war must yeah. become public because the stakes are too yeah. high. No, they just they just get in a big fucking row and don't really talk about it. The movie ends with uh, Wessex University, which it was like Nibirius's like you know cover story for doing this research, which is I mean as far as I can tell that's like a, a, a storied institution in their town, and the entire university is collapsed and replaced with literally a portal to hell. Yep. And yeah, I mean that's just that's what's in the town now. Now they have a portal to hell. Uh, that's possibly littered with corpses inside some sort of machines that are supposed to reanimate them. Right. You know, so, like you do. Um, but there's not a real sense of consequence here because it's like, once again, they just blew a thing up because this is a film about stuff blowing up. It really is. It's a film about cool explosions. And honestly, yeah. if you're just in the mood for a bunch of cool explosions, it's not... I can I, name I, about ten movies better than this Well, one. yeah, but they, they might distract you with, like, other redeeming qualities, whereas this you could really just do nothing but say, oh, hey, it's exploding. Explosions. Fast forward yeah. through the occasional scenes where nothing explodes. Uh, are, are these kind of, like, horror-y action movies? These are new, right? The, the genre? Like, I, I'm trying to think of an example earlier than, like, the first Blade movie or the first Underworld movie, and I'm having trouble. Yeah, I, I, it feels like, it feels like at least in the volume that they've been coming along, it feels like, like, I would, I would describe them, like, I, I think people could reasonably criticize us for watching this just on the basis that this really isn't a horror film. This is a, no. it's, it's a monster film. Kind of, it's it, it it's a film involving a classic horror movie monster. Is about all there is that we can say about the horror aspects because there's no there's no tension, there's no real contemplating man's inhumanity to man or the nature of existence. You know, there, there's there's nothing to chew on here. There's nothing to keep you up at. No, this movie will punish you for trying to comp- uh, contemplate it too much. Yeah, so so it's I would describe this is like a monster adventure movie is what it really is. Yeah, I mean, like you know, there's yeah, like I said, there's the Blade movies, there's the Underworld movies, there was uh, Van Helsing that came out a while ago yeah, that was yeah. a giant piece of crap. Um, 
Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, surprisingly fun. <laughs> I saw uh, that. Did not need, like, it didn't need to rely on any sort of mythology. It's like, you know what a fucking vampire is, and they're here. Yeah. So here you go. So that I guess, I guess that one did not like need as much. Well, and to, um, to what extent can we peg like Buffy the Vampire Slayer to this? Because that feels like a big uh, cultural touchstone for sort of non-horror yeah. monster stories. Yeah. And I mean, um, the, the, the series more than the movie. The movie did not have the same kind of impact that the the later TV series had. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, the movie was. I mean, the movie was just like a, a vampire comedy in like like the vein of like these zombies. And I mean, like that was like a big thing around that time, like the late eighties, early nineties. Like the, like the zombie comedy is big now. Like the vampire comedy was big then. There was you know Once Bitten, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Vampire in Brooklyn, Dracula um, Three Thousand. Oh, that wasn't supposed to be a comedy. Right? Womp womp. Uh, um, Jim Van Carrey, Was that Once Bitten? Was Jim Carrey the one with Jim Carrey Once Bitten, or was that the high school one? Uh, I can't remember. I never saw it. All right. Uh, yeah. Just dead and loving it. Oh uh, yeah, that was that was that was, 90s, it was right. Yeah, that was that was. I mean, dead and loving it was like the parody of Bram Stoker's Dracula slash the Dracula mythos in the same way that Men in Tights was a parody of like all of the Robin Hood stuff, but specifically yeah. like the nineties Kevin Peace. Costner yeah. one. I need to rewatch that sometime. Dead and loving it. It it's not one of no 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 no, no Prince oh. of Thieves. Oh, uh, that's I just watch just watch Men in Tights. Jesus, no, I mean, I, it, it, I, it's not. I didn't. I did not, not like any part of Prince of Thieves. I I just I saw it a lot as a kid. Is the thing like it was like I, I had older sisters and and Christian Slater was dreamy and Kevin Costner was okay and my parents rightly liked Alan Rickman in it and I liked Alan Rickman in it too and so basically we we saw the movie a bunch we had it on we had it on you know VHS and so. I've seen it many times, but none of them in the last like twenty years, uh, or fifteen years probably. Um, and so I feel like I need to sit down and watch it again. The Brian Adams song in it, uh, I was big on that for a while because it was a good sort of like mid-tempo ballad, and I was learning to play music better. And it was a good thing to like vainly, confusedly try and impress girls with. Uh, so I, basically, not I don't need to see it again because it's some sort of important landmark. I need to see it again because it's like embedded in my DNA. Like, well, I feel like I need to come back to it and revisit it and and really sort of see it with like modern eyes and and sort of think about how I feel about it watching it as a film now versus how I feel about it as something that's bound up with a bunch of random cultural and emotional baggage from when I was a teenager, you know. That that strategy, like, I, I've done that a number of times, and the only movie it has paid off with was Batman Forever. Well, I don't think it needs to pay off. It just, I, I, I kind of want to explore it. Like, even if it turns out that I come away from it saying, you know, I remembered it better before I revisited it, that's okay. That's just, I, kinda, I just kind of want to know. I'm curious. I want to explore, you know, it's, it, 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 it's an exploration of the self, much like uh, Adam Frankenstein's journey in this film. Where he comes to, you know, really reflect on the nature of his existence and, and so on. Um, God, it's just such a bad movie. Just such a bad <laughs> movie. And and it's ah, uh, the, the 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 Doctor Frankenstein's book, uh, like that that he, you know, his notes from um, his notes from creating the monster, which are bound in this very very nice book with an F on it and like a book plate. Uh, it was, you know, it might as well have well just been stamped with like a big thing that said MacGuffin on it, like the moment they introduced it. Well, I think, and I also, think, I think he self-published that on Lululemon as well. <laughs> 
Was that, wait, wait, no, no, that's, no that's, the, that's the pants that's the company. Pants, You're right. thinking of Lulu. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Although, and also, like, <laughs> so the, the angels apparently have this, you know, this uh, archive or, or vault with things that can be put in there but never taken out unless somebody goes and takes one of them out. Yep. Yeah, that was, that was uh, like the least guarded secret guarded vault ever like yeah apparently the way the you retrieve the something entire... is you walk in and open up a box yeah was the was the vault the entire thing or just the box i don't know i don't know but also you'd think if they had this thing that proved that god was no longer the sole creator of people and that you know they w- it would uh what do you call it um you know, force the it would like you know force a win to the legions of hell if they got it. You think you'd make a duplicate of it, hide the real one somewhere, nobody would look, and put the fake one in the vault? That'd be that'd be smart. That'd be the kind of clever twist that would be involved in a film that had clever <laughs> twists in it. Uh, yeah. And um, oh, also, so uh, one of the things that really bugged me about this movie that was just a little thing was um, one of the gargoyles, Gideon, who is, uh, you know, like he's the second in command and he's the one that wants Frankenstein dead and the other ones are the ones that don't, which is how you can tell the difference. Oh, and there's two guys that don't care. This is, this is how you tell the difference between the <laughs> legions of gargoyles. Um, so his weapon is this axe. Yes. With a pointy handle. I mean, I'm sorry, it's got a point coming out of the end of it, and it's got the two axe parts, it's got two heads on it, so, like, it's like a battle axe, so with, like, the two yeah, sides. Yeah, big, to it, big, big double he, crescent. Yeah, that he has to plug into them. Now, here's the thing. He carries the handle upside down, strapped to the middle of his back. There is, I'm going to say, six inches from his brainstem, a giant metal spike at all times. Yeah, if he ever, if he ever like, hears something overhead and, and looks up to see what it is, he's just killed himself. He's just murdered himself on the spiky decorative handle of his axe. But I love that axe. It's so, it, that axe is this movie. It's like, it's dumb. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. They don't bother to explain why this thing that doesn't it's make sense is there. It's the key to the vault. It, but it looks really cool. Yeah, so, so he... T- he takes this fucking thing. He drives a spike spike down on the floor. God, God help him if he needs to put his axe together when there's not a nice soft floor to drive a spike into. Drives the spike into the floor. So there's like a you know three inch just cylinder sticking up in the floor. Takes his two hand blade things, jams them down on the side of the top of the the, the spike, and they click into place. He's got a, he's got a snap together model one to one snap together model of an axe that he uses as a weapon. Snaps it together, and then he's got his axe and he's good to go swinging an axe around. Uh, but he can use the blades independently as well and does at times. And yeah, that's also apparently the, the entire gargoyle UI is built <laughs> around this guy's snap-together axe because it needs to go into the vault and he takes his axe blades and uses them as simultaneous keys to turn it like like the fucking security system on the Nostromo in, in <laughs> Alien. Uh, hey guys, where's Gideon? I don't know. I got to get into the vault. I just use one of the giant screwdrivers. <laughs> Just you, you, use a giant quarter. It'll work. No, no, yeah, yeah, no. You can use anything. It doesn't have to be as blades, man. Uh, yeah, it's, they've uh, got you know you, they've got their armory that like you know they introduce Frankenstein to like they capture him and then they let him go and they're like well you have to help us fight this war and he's you know grumpy um, and then they introduce him to the vault they're like you know the queen said we have to give you a weapon which you know why not you capture this thing you don't know what it is Let, let's arm it. Um, and he picks these, uh, what do you call it, collie sticks, which are just two big metal clubs that are sticks. And the angel that's introduced, he's like, no, you, you shouldn't use those. They're, they're clumsy and big. I'm like, hey, why do you have them? 
Yeah. This, Who I mean, is it that's they using are them? On, like, like, no, no, Adam. No, not that shelf. That's the shelf of shitty weapons that we keep <laughs> in our shining vault of holy weaponry. Those are the – that's the shit shelf. We put that there just so we know not to pick those because it's really important that the center of the room be occupied by <laughs> lousy weapons that we don't ever want anyone to use because they're bad. It's Could got the just, gun that fires backwards. It's got the thing that's just a club with a nail in it and the nail's got the inscription on it. It's There's the box that opens up and a punching – a boxing glove comes out but it only hits you in the face and it's got a little like Hallmark greeting card when you open it, noisemaker that says, stop hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself. It's, There's just, a very high cholesterol cheeseburger. That whole shelf. Just stay away from that shelf. That's the wrong shelf. And what was uh, the weapon he was looking at before that? It was it was a um, it was like a cavalry saber, but the edge was serrated, but yeah. not normal serrated. The serrations went in like halfway into the blade, making it sort of like it looked like a saw blade that would break the first time you used. Yeah, I couldn't tell for sure if it was supposed to be serrated or just sort of like scalloped metal. Uh, like a uh, flat blade, but like darker in sort of serrated looking spot. I, I, I didn't really get a good clear yeah. look at it because again, details like it's, I feel like this movie, what this movie actually is, is it's part of the actual Prince Niberius's actual plan to take over the world by subtly implanting stupid, forgetful rays in questionable films. Uh, so you watch this movie and you actually get dumber in the process, like you, you, you forget the things that happen in the movie, but you also forget other things that, like the movie's evil viral neural load, it, it it infects neurons, and then those neurons grab other neurons, and and slowly you just lose everything. It's he he's weaponized uh, film transfer version of dementia, and and twenty years from now we're all just going to be shambling around doing the bidding of Bill Nye. Who Bill Nye is actually literally Prince Niberius. His entire <laughs> acting career has been moving up to this point. This this movie is where he starts to let the hand tip, but we're all too far gone anyway uh, to, to do anything about it at this point. So it'll just be a slow slide into uh, uh, you know, a demonic hellscape. And that's why it's a dystopian film. Because it creates a dystopia around it? Exactly, exactly. Uh, I, could, I could see that. I definitely felt a little more depressed after watching this <laughs> So the the, the part also, of my here's feeling- the thing when he's so he after he gets these sticks he goes to hide out in the wilderness again for no big reason and then they find him there and you see him like he's so he he picks these weapons literally out of spite like the reason he picks like the weapons that he has in this movie is because he is spiteful and somebody tells him not to yeah it's like he glances at yeah. them and the guys like mm-hmm. don't he's like fuck you. Yeah. And then at some point, he makes himself a, a punching dagger, which if you play D&D, you are familiar with the design. If you haven't, it looks kind of like a um, the spade card suit. And, you know, so it's got like this little bar that you hold horizontally in your hand and a spike coming out. So from between your fingers, this like leaf-shaped knife blade comes out. And he inscribes that with a thing. So you'd think like in the 200 years, he would have A, made himself some more weapons, or at least, you know, like inscribe that symbol into his fists, Yes, there's, then, there's a big pile of questions about that magical holy symbol that turns everything into demon-killing weapons. Because, yeah, so many possibilities. You know, Why wh- didn't he just inscribe a giant one into the ground for, like, you know, two miles wide and just live in it? Yeah, that, that could have worked. I guess that could have been a little bit obvious once they came yeah. up with satellite imagery. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah the, the, the symbol, the symbol is such a huge thing that I... 
like, there's a million things they should have done with it. And the one that I was expecting, this this was my early call and it was incorrect. And they did something else at the end of the film instead with this. But my early call as soon as I saw the whole anything with this symbol in it is that they, is that they would scratch it into a bullet or bullets. And this would be a big reveal where, like, he's pointing a gun at a demon and the demon laughs at him because, like, you can't kill me with a gun. And then he's like, uh, you don't know something that I know or, you know, some other similarly mm-hmm. bad line that would have been in this movie. And then he, he pulls the trigger and we see that happen in slow motion. And then we zoom because there's so much CGI in this film. Yeah. This shot would have fit perfectly well. We zoom inside the barrel of the gun to see up close the bullet sitting there in the chamber as the hammer drops and ignites it and we see on the bullet the scratched in triple cross figure and then it's sidewinders out of the gun on a slow super slow motion blast of and, and pierces the demon's heart and the demon explodes and descends and and it's like oh shit it's on and then and then we maybe proceed. It, maybe it, you know it, it doesn't work on ranged weapons on either the ammunition or the weapon itself because you think they would have figured that out around the time they discovered crossbows or bows and arrows true uh, we, 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 we Although, should. just because that holds doesn't mean that wouldn't have been a scene that fit perfectly into this movie. Yes. I mean, yeah. you just made like, things too easy. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, uh, yeah, and, and so I was, I was hoping that would happen and didn't. And there, were, there, wasn't really, there wasn't really much of any gun stuff in this, I guess. It really kept no. it all melee, which is, which is fine. Yeah, I guess the, the uh, Zuriel, the, you know, the, the, like, Nibirius is the prince, but the Zuriel is, like, the commander, like, the most, uh, what yeah. do you call it, worthy commander of Hell's army. The also Darth Maliest. Yeah, exactly. He also has Kali sticks by some sort of incredible coincidence. Well, and this is okay. This this is this is what so much of this film feels like to me is that somebody had an idea for hey, this would be cool, and then they just worked backwards to figure out how to be able to set that up. But it's not like uh, a, they a made steel a movie trap like noir. that. Have you seen Shoot 'Em Up? No, with uh, Clive Owen and Paul Giamatti. I have not. That movie was literally written like that. Like they just they, had they, some they things thought, they wanted, and so they yeah, they're just like, all right, we want a a a fight scene where everybody is jumping out of an airplane and shooting at each other, and then they work backwards, and that's yeah. how that movie was made. And it's one of my favorite action movies of all time, just because it is just out and out dumb as hell, um, and just it's yeah, and that, that's that's the right way to do this. In this movie, they tried to justify the things a little too much, and it didn't make any sense. Yeah. And, and yeah, so it felt like the collie stick on collie stick fight was just literally. That's why Frankenstein has collie sticks. Uh, because, because you think if this guy has been hunting him for two hundred years, he would have figured out what the best weapon to use against him using collie sticks is, which maybe be like I don't know a spear, yeah, or just you know something it, yeah. that's outside of the radius of them, yeah. rather than the exact same weapon. Yeah, it seems unlikely that that is uh, what the Nash equilibrium. You know, it seems it seems unlikely that like you know, collie stick on collie stick is the parental optimal response to collie sticks. Like, we've been hunting this guy for two hundred years. I am going to choose to use against him the weapon that he has the most intimate knowledge and use of. So, well, and even if you know, it, it could have been like if it was sort of more of a martial arts uh, sort of story. Uh, that could even turn into a good story element if there was actually a clearly conveyed idea that Frank. Uh, had uh, I'm just going to call him anything I want. He's Adam. He's Frank. He's Aaron. I don't care. Frankenstein. It's a dumb movie. Roderick. I just, this is this is my official disclaimer for anybody who's 
had even the slightest twinge of no, but Frankenstein was the doctor. Shut the fuck up. This oh, movie. Oh, but they go into that movie. in this movie. Yeah, so they do. And and the movie's not even particularly consistent about it. But in any <laughs> case, yes, I know that his name is not Frankenstein, but he's Frankenstein. Just deal with it. So if it had been a thing where 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 Frank had like spent. And if we if we'd gotten a montage, maybe there's there's so much montage that it could have gone into the jump into the present day from the 200 years in the past that they skipped that, and it would have been dumb. Well, there but is it would have been like it's, a, it's a two. It's literally a montage of two scenes. Yeah, well, three three scenes. Yeah, it's it it, it 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 hardly counts by modern standards. That that hardly even registers as a montage. It's it's technically montage in a sense, but then it's exposed exposited over anyway so it's like it doesn't even need to do the work that it's doing anyway so so one of the things what if i I, i'm just gonna say what if frankenstein had spent those 200 years in part training and training and training with the college like what if he'd been actually clumsy with them right at the beginning and it seemed like the guy who gave him shit about picking them was right but then among other things out of his weird pride he then became he strove and strove and trained to become the greatest collie stick fighter in the world and then he eventually has this showdown with uh, Zuriel, who also has collie sticks, and it becomes a thing where it's like Zuriel gets the early start on him and, and sort of seems to embarrass him and invalidate even that thing that he had worked so hard on. And it's a it's a big, but but then they revisit it later, and it turns out what Frankenstein was really lacking was just a sense of preparedness to confront Zuriel, and and then he brings it back and he shows him how it's done with the fucking collie sticks, and that's the big triumphant. You know, landing of the, the the arc of that particular aspect of his character and his growth over all that time is this I showdown mean, and, and this this loss and then win. Like it, it, it'd be a total rocky thing. You, you gotta, and, you gotta. And that would have been much this. more interesting than an inexplicable coincidence. Yep, I agree. exactly. Right. You know, and 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 so it's like, and this film is just so full of like ah, so many things that like I don't think this could have turned into really a good film without changing way too much about it but it could have turned into a bad film that like felt more self-aware and uh more working within its its abilities you know if if just some things had been written to be a little bit more about the goofy adventure of Frankenstein um a lot of the the, the dialogue of this is really uh, like I know I'm being hyperbolic and I'm being mean here, but it really it feels like the writing of a precocious twelve year old. Like there's a lot of lines. In I don't here know. That I think I could that would imagine. be a lot more inventive. Well, okay, a, a precocious twelve year old who's been watching bad uh, source material. Because the thing is, there's a lot of lines in here that even just rewriting them a little bit would make them not so awful. Uh, uh, when. When, you know, uh, what's her name? Leonor tells uh, Gideon to, you know, make sure the book is safe. His reply is, why? It is but a book. Yeah, things like that. It's like, let's get, let's just get pointlessly stilted to, to, to dress it up. Or, or, you know, Frankenstein has a bunch of dumb lines that are just like overwrought but don't deserve to be. You know, he's got things that are supposed to be one lines like descend in pain, demon. But that like... it. Was that supposed to be like a, a a pun type thing on rest in peace? I think so. I think so. But it but it doesn't work. It's just not. No. It's, it's not close enough to get there. It's not far enough to get there. It's not winking. It's not funny. It just feels like hey, let's change some of the words in a short phrase. 
you know, but not even keep the acronym. <laughs> yeah, you know, he, he he he's super petulant. He says, "I seek my own answers." Uh, One of his lines, um, there's a scene where he's like the second time that he's captured because of, see, because of him, like a police officer dies because a demon kills him because the police officer sees their secret war that eventually spills out into the street in giant explosions. No problem then, by the way. Yeah. Um. So you know the uh, they're you know they 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 lock him into his shit like into a chair and thing and they're like, well, you know, you're uh, you're grounded until you figure out what you did wrong, young man. Um, which was like the gist of that scene. Just swear to God. And and so everybody's leaving, and you know they're all very disappointed in Frankenstein. And then he just yells out, "I was never taught to do better." And then you know, just like everybody, just sort of turns around and shakes their head and walks out. And he's just like, uh, you know, he calls out to one of them, and the guy just, nope. If that line was, if that line was instead, "I need a hug," and the exact same scene happens, it would have been so much better. Seriously, like, yeah. I like if he had presented as even sort of like a whiny, needy teenager, it would have been better than what we got. Like, you know, I mean, he's supposed to be, I think the idea is he's supposed to be, you know, sort of this like stoic, set apart, brooding creature who doesn't understand how to live in a world that doesn't understand him and doesn't know how to cope with his isolation. And so instead, he's just sort of like, you know, tight lipped and self reliant and, and pushes others away and so on. But again, none of this is really there. This is just, you, we can sort of read this is probably the idea behind this character. <laughs> Uh, but like if he had, yeah, if he had been actually just like an emotional mess in like a wearing it on his sleeve sort of way, I would have loved that. That would have been great. That would have been so much more fun and much more interesting to watch people react to than what we actually got, you know, which is just like really, really dumb fucking dialogue delivered too seriously in a movie that how can you seriously like, yeah. So yeah, the dialogue was. I did not write down a whole lot of it. I, I wrote down a couple other little snippets, but mostly, like none of most of it wasn't interesting enough to complain in, in specific about. It was just like, ugh, this really, this really reads like it was written in a trapper keeper. This really <laughs> does not seem like the person writing this and the person directing the delivery of this were self aware of how dumb this was, and that's worrying. Uh, there's um there's this bizarre bizarre so there's two scientists in this movie um uh, attractive yes. lady scientist and old you know nerd scientist yeah, Carl Carl yeah and I talk Tara about Carl. I think her name's yeah. Tara yeah, not yeah, Tara. Tara Tara um and and they're they're looking through uh, Frankenstein's uh, Frankenstein's notes and because like one of the points that they like one of them had made earlier it's like you couldn't even harness electricity back then because I guess the Frankenstein movies did not exist in this universe so they didn't see like the giant things that they used in the old universal movies right. to harness yeah. the lightning Yeah, and so she was just like electric eels and he's just like what? And she's just like he used you know three second jolts from electric eels and the scientist reply is they're fish you know <laughs> or yes. you know that they're fish right? Yes. It's just like what? It's, like the it's, one it's, the one thing I liked in the dialogue of this movie was Carl being pedantic about them not actually being eels. Well, no, I thought an eel is a type of fish, so she wasn't even wrong. Well, no, no, eels are fish. I think electric eels, or, or e- well, yeah, okay, but eels, eels are eels. I'm not sure if eels are fish. Eels might be. I think eels are fish. I'm, I'm going to look it up here, but uh, in eel any- is any fish belonging to the order Anguilliformis. So an eel is inherently a fish. Okay, well, I guess here's the question. Uh, 
So I'm, he was I'm, doing the kind of correction where somebody refers to like a dolphin or a whale as, as a fish, and they're like, "No, no, it's a mammal." But he was doing it the other way around. But he wasn't even correcting okay, anything. Okay, okay, okay. So here's my theory, and I'm going to look it up, and I'll keep myself honest on this. But my theory is that the electric eel is not actually properly of the subgroup eel. Is the thing. So it's called an electric eel, but it's not actually of the eel family. It would be better called an electric fish. And the eel thing is just a. Uh, gross categorization based on the general look of it. So if it's not an eel in the sense that things that oh, are, you're eels right. are eels, then it so, is not an eel. So him saying it's a fish is not him being like, actually, eels aren't fish. He's saying, actually, electric eels aren't eels. They're just a more general categorization of fish. So in that sense, Carl so, was correct. Yeah, so you're right, because it it's not an eel, but a type of knife fish, but its name is the electric eel. It is, it is. Well, so, and, well, and it, 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 if... If if someone referred to a Dutch baby and you're like, well, it's actually a pancake, uh, you may or may not being a needless pedantic dick at that point, and arguably Carl totally was needless being a pedantic dick there. But you're also not wrong. Like so, and and my interpretation is is Carl is someone who is a pedant, but has also run into that misrepresentation before. And in this case, he's talking to a scientist, so maybe he feels like it's more important to be sort of nerdy about it and be like, well, actually, let's let's be correct about our terminology. Um, her yeah, line may have started with it, it may have started with eels there's, before um, she clarified yeah. electric eels, which would give him a. I can't believe I'm going to this much effort to try and defend <laughs> the the. But the thing Shut is, I like Carl. I like Carl, and I want to talk about Carl for a second because let's let's I'm talk s- about let's I'm talk sad about that they didn't reanimate him. I'm super sad about that. Well, and that's the thing. Okay, because because she. So so that's that's what happens near the end, right? Uh, that, that's how Nimbarius gets the ball really rolling on this whole demon thing is. Her and Carl, Tara and Carl, have figured out that they need 15,000 joules. That's what the math added up to, to reanimate a, a human. And so, to, Wait, no, it's to go back in time to the 50s so they can stop the human from being reanimated. Right, right, whatever. Uh, <laughs> so, so, so they figure out they need the 15,000 joules. Uh, they end up back at the laboratory because uh, Nibirius is one step ahead of them. So Carl and Tara in the laboratory, Nibirius is like, hey, you gotta, you got to show me how to bring life back. Uh, and she's like, no, I won't. I'd rather die. And so then Nibirius grabs Carl and kills him. And it seems like that convinces Tara that she should try and reanimate Carl because she then decides to go ahead and go through the motions of, of starting up the reanimation process, which I guess they just needed a corpse for, hence Carl. And then she would rather die than help the demons win the war on humanity but not if it means Carl's dead, because otherwise, why would that convince her? Why would you just say, okay, now you can kill me, because I'd still rather die. Instead, she's like, okay, I'll start the process. So I think Tara was deeply, deeply in love with Carl and could never admit it, is one thing, because clearly that's the only thing that caused her to move heaven and earth and betray humanity in order to bring him back to life. And two, presumably that means that's what she was doing, was like, did you get the impression she was in fact attempting to run the reanimation sequence on Carl. Yeah, that's the thing. So okay. what, what was happening was that, you know, she's still, I mean, it's really confusing as to whether at that point in the movie she knew, I mean, she knew that Nibir, that Wessex was Nibirius, and I think she knew the plans, but maybe she didn't believe them. I do not understand what her motivation behind not just running the fuck away was. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and then he steals the 
programming from what she's doing and pipes it into the like great through big his of corpses down in the basement. Yeah, 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 by way of like his own scientist in the parking lot who's got like his own science set up in like the university parking lot. But this is the first time they're trying to do it. Why would he risk blowing up like all of his corpses with that like first trial? Wouldn't they first reanimate Carl? Be like, all right, he seems to be walking around kicking. You would think so. You yeah. know, it, it seems very rash on, on Prince Nibirius's part. Yeah, he's 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 been playing this. You know, the, he's collected hundreds, possibly, maybe at least tens of thousands of corpses because that, that's a deep hole full of yeah. dead bodies. It's a great big, uh, big, great, yeah, big matrix. Uh, and it, body, it feels like he's just going to blow it like all all on this you know one time that which he has a scientist under duress who definitely won't fuck things up on purpose and just threaten to to die yeah uh, rather than have, uh, yeah so it, it, it possibly Nimbarius is actually a really impatient guy and the only reason he's lasted two hundred years was an un, un uh, like like unprecedented amount of effort for him, and it's just worn thin. Maybe who knows? In any case, she was, she starts yep. the reanimation on Carl. The reanimation of Carl, I guess, gets interrupted when Frank shows up. Carl also has uh, what do you call it? He's got autopsy scars on his chest for no reason yeah. at all. Yeah, even though that the mice that they were originally doing it with a mouse, and the mouse was covered in scars like everywhere, like Frankenstein was again for no reason. But Carl only had like the Y shaped autopsy scar. Yeah, and what did did they need to go in and do something there, or is just the it's, visual language of the film such that well they won't know that we're going to reanimate a corpse unless it's got scars? So let's put autopsy scars on it because for some reason they just opened up Carl's freshly killed chest to poke around for some reason. Like, did they establish yeah. that they had to do something to the bodies to prep them for reanimation beyond just having a body in pretty good shape? Because yeah, what was what the fuck was with the autopsy scars on Carl? So they put Carl in. They start the reanimation sequence. I guess it gets interrupted, presumably when when Frankenstein gets, I think, thrown into the side of the big reanimation chamber. And then I don't know if we saw Carl's body go somewhere after that. Like if it flew I off, do, I, I think it just it, fell over. Yeah, or if uh, we just or, basically or didn't see it on camera. For that. But yeah, we don't see Carl again. And I'm so <laughs> sad because I wanted Frankenstein Carl. I wanted Frankenstein Carl to be a character in the film, and here's my theory. Here's my theory. Sequel, starring the guy who played Carl, titled I, Carl. And it's a, it's a, it's a mixture of new material, uh, new story material uh, that happens after I, Frankenstein, and various scenes from I, Frankenstein reshot from Carl's perspective. And so it'll be it'll be sort of the story of Carl's life leading up to that moment of his death and reanimation. Uh, maybe it'll open on his death. Maybe it'll open with a perspective shot of Nibirius's hand reaching towards the camera and sort of choking and and the light fading out and going to black. And and then maybe and, and then he'll be like, "Wait, let me let me start earlier." And then and then we get a bunch of the stuff from I Frankenstein, you know, scenes from Carl's perspective that we didn't otherwise get to see, leading back up to that moment midway through the film where he gets uh or or maybe end of the first act where he gets choked out and uh gets reanimated on the table and he scampers away and then we just get the whole story of Carl as as uh you know, the the product of a modern day Prometheus, if you will. Uh <laughs> But it's like a it's a very Carl Frankenstein story. So like he gets an IT job somewhere, you know, and and the whole thing is just about him actually. And so we finally get an existential exploration in in a modern sort of ironic sense of the Frankenstein story that we didn't get from the film actually about Frankenstein's monster. 
that I think is what's going to happen. And that's I why we didn't see Carl. I would have just enjoyed like a post credit stinger of him just like crawling out of the wreckage of the machine, like alive in the Frankenstein sense and just being totally exasperated with it. Like <laughs> what the fuck? Oh God damn it. I, I, I paused like once the credits were properly rolling, like he'd gotten past the decorative early bits of the credits to just the long black credit roll. And I paused and there were six minutes left. And I was like, I was just going to turn off. I was like, Oh wait, there's six minutes left. Uh, there must be something in here. But no, it was just another six fucking minutes of credits. It took six minutes of credits worth of people to make this movie. Which I mean, it looks like there was a lot of money involved. So I'm sure there was, you know. But but yeah, yeah. Basically, Carl. Carl, why couldn't the <laughs> film all be about you? Poor, hapless, nerdy, correct about the eels, Carl. Yep. Uh, oh, speaking of pedantry, um, so Niberius is set up as like this very, like very, very proper, like mob boss kind of character, but you know, like British tea drinking, you know, eloquent. And at one point, um, what's her name? Uh, lady scientist says it's like you know, oh, Frankenstein's just a myth to scare children. And then he turns to her and he's just like, "What if there was a Frankenstein?" I'm like, "No, it's were. It's for fuck's sake, it's were." <laughs> maybe he was mocking her. Maybe maybe it was actually a deliberate word choice on his part to be like you know dumb american well i guess she was like english or that the okay so let's talk about that actress actually for a second uh because uh the the blonde doctor lady tara it's an actress named uh yvonne strahovski or something like that uh, i'm not sure how it's pronounced but uh but i think she's a i think she's an australian actress and i spent the whole movie going it's weird how much she looks like Miranda from Mass Effect 2 and 3. And it's because she was actually the voice actress and, and physical model for the correct character Miranda from Mass Effect 2 and 3. But it's, it's not quite right. And so I was like, I managed to be doubting for most of the film, even though I was also, but no, probably it is, but it's not quite right. Maybe it's just a weird fucking coincidence. And it's, it's just that the model, you know, the video game model doesn't manage to be quite right, which sort of makes sense because, uh, there was a character in those couple of games uh, played by Martin Sheen, and there was a character model that looked like Martin Sheen, but didn't quite look like Martin Sheen. You know, sort of, sort of the the amount of gap you would expect from sort of like video game Uncanny Valley of actual famous actors. Uh, so yeah, it's it's really weird too watching her be this person who isn't this character from this video game, but really obviously also being this character from this video game. Uh, and I, I have a feeling this is going to happen more as time goes on, and it's probably going to continue to be weird and unsettling when it does. Because uh, it's one thing when you really know, like with Martin Sheen, I was like, oh, hey, they got Martin Sheen, and oh, they made it look like Martin Sheen. Okay. Uh, but yeah, when it's someone you haven't seen before the video game, it's like hearing, a we- we've probably talked about it before, it's like hearing a Weird Al version of a song before you hear the song. Yeah. Like, I, I grew up you know, listening to a bunch of classic rock uh, in the form of like a Weird Al polka about classic rock, and then have spent the ensuing following decades of my life being like oh that's what smoke on the water sounds like <laughs> you know and it's the same sort of thing here it's like oh that's what Yvonne Strahovski looks like oh okay I guess I guess she's a human being and not just a construct from a video game that's super weird um, anyway that's that's the most interesting thing I have to say about that character is that uh, she's played by somebody who played herself in a video game so uh, that's something she did have a line. I, I liked. I liked the frenetic line when they're bringing the the rat back to life, and they're they're raising levels because that's what you do when something doesn't go wrong is you you use more of it, uh, and and then she's like double it again, and Carl says that'll kill it, and she says it's already dead, and that was 
that was honestly just about right. That's the about the tone that most of the dialogue in the film should have been. And somehow the rest of the dialogue falls a little bit short of that. Like, I mean, it's goofy, it's obvious, it's it's, it's over the top, but it's at least written in a way that doesn't feel like you need to roll your fucking eyes at someone using their thous unnecessarily. Uh, there was um, so there's a scene with Leonor and Gideon and where they're discussing Frankenstein. I don't think Frankenstein's in the room at the time. And Gideon is like constantly referring to Frankenstein as it because he's the dick character. And like, you know, she finally corrects him. She's just like, he, not it. She's like, all right, is he going to, you know, save us from this? And in the, the, in the actual like saying of the line, there's not a lot of emphasis on he. It just sounds like he's been corrected and he's just like emphasizing that he's saying like the word as like she says it. In the subtitles, it was the he was in quotes. So I feel like the subtitles were a little more passive aggressive <laughs> than the actual character. <laughs> yeah, it, it again, the line delivery in this film is just so kind of shit all over the board. I, it, I like that they kept. I, I like for – what like means obviously is a very questionable thing was I discussed this film. I took note of the fact that they kept returning to the it versus he thing like two or three times in the film, uh, which, you know, that's fine. Um, but as with most things in the film, they didn't do it with enough elegance and, and thought to make it really, you know, feel like – To make it feel like effort. anything but inconsistent. Yes. But yeah. but but they, they come back to the last time uh, late in the film uh, and I think uh, – I, I, I think I think someone reports to Nibirius that Frank has showed up and, and Tara, lady scientist, is – is is there again she's been recaptured whatever so the, the goon says to Niberius sir it's here and Tara responds him not it and I really kind of wanted the guy to look at her and, and Niberius and say sir him's here because you can't just yeah it's like it's, it's exactly the sort of like you have to write that kind of clever dialogue a little bit actually cleverly to think about how you don't fuck up things by suggesting like an improper conjugation while you're being pedantic uh, yeah, I, I, I I had a different idea for that scene where right after she says that, like, everybody just turns to her and just, like, gives her a why and, like, rolls their eyes and just says their dialogue again. <laughs> Sir, it's too. here. Yep. Um, there was a... Uh, what do you call it? Um, at one point, uh, Nibirius, I think maybe when he's still at West, posing as Wessex, he, he refers to just like, you know, maybe it'll be another one of your grand human mistakes. And I have no <laughs> idea what that line refers to. Yeah, just None. something, something. Just uh, He's just being a prick. He's like, you, you, like that time, you know, Teletubbies. Like, what was that about? Um, yeah. There's a – let's talk a little bit about how much this movie owes uh, The Matrix – in weird ways like this 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 movie this is a sort of movie i feel like we should like blame the matrix for like that's the ro- proper emotion because there's a lot of things in here it doesn't seem super fucking obvious but still like there's a lot of heritage of what the matrix brought to uh yeah there's like the whole like you know secret war between two factions that both look like people temporarily but are also really good at martial arts for some reason yep 
There's there's a lot there's a lot of slow mo swooping cinematography of, of martial arts stuff, which obviously this is not there's not a real direct line here because there's been so much of that since the Matrix. Yeah. But there's still, a lot man. of that. There's this one specific shot that was in the Matrix and then it was in every fucking like uh, kung fu like movie where somebody gets hit real hard and like does a couple of like long like turns along their long axis like head to foot in the air because they got hit so hard that they flip in the air a couple of times. Yeah. There was a, there was at least like four or five of those. There's um, a there's a great uh, and actually I genuinely enjoyed this. You know, it was it was just another dumb action moment in the film, but this one I really liked was the mid air slow mo gargoyle face punch at yeah, one point. That was where actually, he, yeah, yeah he 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 sort of just gets a jump up off a car and gargoyles whooping and just like hammers a thing and it flies down to the back of a shitty Honda or something uh, right that, through the windshield. Yeah, and I really liked that. But again, uh, that. Uh, uh, a real big, like, slow motion, swooping, wire work, uh, you know, martial arts thing with way too much energy being thrown around to not actually kill anybody involved. Uh, so, yeah, like, that that general feel is very there. Obviously, the giant pile of bodies in pods in a big complex uh, feels pretty matrixy too, even if that's also been done a few different times in different settings as well. Um but there's also like there were little things. I remember there was all of like the computery stuff was very. You know, I found the quote. The quote, by the way, the Twitter quote is by Eliza Skinner was, "I Frankenstein is the best movie ever written by a Sega Genesis and an Evanescence album." <laughs> um, and and yeah, like all of like the computer consoles and anything that there's computers in, it's very like sort of monochromatic. Um, and and you know, just like the displays are are like you know simultaneously modern well I mean most of them are modern looking but they're also not very comprehensible I think that's more like a minority report thing because now I'm thinking like the, all the Matrix computer stuff was really like you know like Blade Runner-y like wrecked you know used yeah. for ages yeah old, old um, dumb terms yeah but in this one like yeah like all the technology stuff is really um, what do you call it really Really, uh, minority reporting, but there is like that, like that, the guy in the parking lot with like the, 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 the clearly like temporarily set up, um, I, I don't know what the point of that guy being in the parking lot was. Like, he could have been anywhere. He could have been in that same lab room with the same equipment and like, they're like, hey, who's that guy? It's like, don't worry about it. He's doing a different experiment. There was no point for, of him being in that parking lot. Yeah. I just realized. Um, Armory, like the the armory scene that was totally botched in this movie because he only touches one piece of weaponry. <laughs> there's um, there, there's a scene right right near the end, uh, the confrontation at uh, whatever Wessex school or whatever it is. He's sort of in the quad of that building and he's surrounded by a bunch of guys in suits, including I guess it looked some of them looked pretty young, like maybe they were actually school kids in suits, uh, you know, like high school age, but still. Yeah. But yeah, he's surrounded by a bunch of dudes in suits, and he's getting ready to brawl with them. And that actually felt like a total Neo versus Agent Smith clones yeah. in two or three setup. Yeah. And then they sort of threw it away because they had the gargoyles come in, which I almost I would have enjoyed more if they just straight up run with it for a minute and, and like just had him wail on it. a bunch of demons for a yeah. while. But instead, they pretty much get yeah. But that felt like almost unapologetically Matrixy, even though for no clear reason. And so I kind of wondered to what extent, like. The, the the folks involved in this actually had that in mind, or if it's just it's become such a pile of cultural references 
in this sort of general territory of movie making that it's like unconscious. You're just like, oh, well, you know, we'll do the thing and this other thing and this other thing. I guess those are all from The Matrix. Yeah, weird. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, it could be like a Citizen Kane sort of thing where it's just, it's been repeated so much that even the people doing it don't have no idea where it came from. Um, and that's my comparison between Citizen Kane and The Matrix. <laughs> They're basically the same film. Basically oh man, what film. if what if Morpheus was Orson Welles? That would have been you know, wonderful. Morpheus is actually uh, an anagram of Rosebud. Uh, oh, I never thought of that. It, it, it's surprising how much that has slipped by people. Um, <laughs> let's let, let let's talk about gargoyles versus demons and the passage of time because. It's really, really obvious that there's a difference in philosophy here between the two camps. The demons, they're wearing modern suits and working in a modern corporate office, and they seem to have managed to assimilate with, like, human culture as time passes Yeah, they're by. hanging out in a club looking creepy, yeah. like creepy guys in a club. Yeah, they, they, look, like, they look like genuine, vaguely uh, creepy uh, Anglo-Europeans. Uh, the gargoyles have literally not changed clothes in 200 years. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it's longer than that because, you know, when, when they showed up, they were like, Leonor was wearing like a medieval gown and the rest of them looked like Roman centurions. Yeah. Well, we know at least 200 years, but yeah, yeah. It, possibly never. And it's kind of, you almost kind of want to say maybe, maybe the gargoyles should lose. Maybe we should just say, you know what? At a certain point, when you fail to adapt at all to the passing of time, the culture of the people, in theory, are there to uh, you know defend. Maybe you're not really connecting with this whole humanity thing. Maybe maybe there's maybe there's something wrong here. But in any case, it is it is remarkable. Like the the gargoyles seem completely unwilling to like 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 give credence to anything, anything modern, anything that has happened in the last two hundred years. Uh, and yet, and yet, they speak throughout pretty consistently. Uh, I, I don't know. They, they 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 speak stilted, archaic English, but not not actually archaic English. Just not archaic stilted enough. choices of words. Yeah, like they don't they don't speak something that is unrecognizable. They just use highfalutin uh, attempts at word constructions. So they're they're clearly paying attention to language change over time, even though they're a tiny, isolated. Uh, you know, apparently by choice group of people who should be experiencing significant language change over time as a result of their isolation from uh, the world around them. So it, for some reasons, the demons have all adopted personas they have seen in organized crime movies. Yeah. The demons are like, Hey, yeah, mobsters, even the annoying cool. ones. Like you get like the, the really, like that really Weasley demon that gets interrogated in the one entertaining, like non action scene in this movie that itself was not that entertaining. Yep. When, uh, what's his name? Nibirius dresses down like that John Cryer looking, uh, guy. While, uh, the, um, what's his name? While his, uh, his, his, C- I don't know, his, his personal assistant slash, you know, executive officer guy just sort of makes faces at it, being like, whoa, <laughs> you done fucked up. Yep. Um, and then he just punches him. Like, that's it. Like, that, that was the, you know, like, if you escape Frankenstein and report on it, you get punched, but if you do the thing the guy wanted, the guy that punched you wanted you to do, you'd be dead. So I think he still sort of came up on top of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. 
And and I, I I like that he lied about how many demons that Frankenstein had fought off to make himself look tougher. But that would have been a lot more obvious if this movie was coherent enough for me to be actually been <laughs> counting the demons. So I'm just like, was there seven? No, there must have been less. Yeah, but I, I did. Yeah, tell. I didn't see seven. I thought there were like three. I, I, yeah, I, yeah. At that point in the film, I was still giving it enough credit that I was like, yeah. maybe part of the thing is I'm obviously this guy's kind of bullshitting about how he got away. Maybe yeah. he's also bullshitting about uh, how dangerous this guy was and so he's like up in the yeah he killed he killed seven seven demons that, but that, I got, that's what it was supposed you know. to be right well I don't know I, I really don't know I, because I'm 90% sure that it was supposed to be him like talking up how tough Frankenstein is because like I injured him he's probably injured but but uh, at the same time it seems like they're all keeping real close track of their numbers right like it's nope. Because like they're 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 both working from a real limited supply. Like there's only so many gargoyles, there's only so many demons so far. You know, and I don't know because like when the beers is like unleashed the legions of hell, like half the city is now on the rooftops running toward like the church, like hundreds of hundreds of people. See, I would I would say hundred of people maybe. It, I didn't feel like I saw that many. Is the thing? No, they were crawling on those rooftops like ants. There was there was lots guess, and lots guess, and lots. I, I maybe forgetting most a of this. Over- City is just demons. I don't think I think that's why the war is secret. It only happens in this city. The entire population, except for like maybe four or five individuals, one of which died during the course of this movie, are demons. So it's not secret because they're keeping a secret. It's secret because there's no one around to notice. Yeah. Yeah. It's secret like your blog is secret. Yeah. It's. It's. um, Maybe it takes place in like Dark City, where like this is just a Dark City sequel. Oh, that could be. And I'm not going to further what if, on that. What if everything is a Dark City sequel? Like that's yeah. that, that that that's like one of those like you can't really make a counter argument to that. <laughs> of course, it's a Dark City sequel. And everything's just happening during the the, the daytime in uh, one of the programmed uh, things. Were that's, there any daytime scenes in this movie? You know, I don't remember any offhand, and I I want. I remember to say there was that, a sun coming up scene during like the tender moment between Scientist Lady and Frankenstein. Yeah, and I want to say maybe there was, but but yeah, I feel like. That that was part of my thinking about the dystopia thing too. Is like, it's not dystopia just because you don't show daytime scenes, you know. Unless there's literally no sun. I think when he's like wandering around, like during his travels, like and he's on a mountain, there's like a daytime scene yeah, when they find him. Oh God! Like I totally forgot. There's this scene where they come across him, like in the woods or the taiga or something, and it's like three demons who are, I guess, hunting him in the middle of nowhere, and they come across one of his like collie sticks just embedded into the ground, and they're like, "What? What's going on with that?" And, and then in the ground see in a, a reflection embedded in the of in what's happening above them, which is that he's descending on them from above, from I guess he's jumping out of a tree. Why is there a reflection there? Because it was in a puddle. He stuck it in the ground in a puddle. That was a puddle? I didn't see Apparently, a Apparently. It didn't make any sense and it didn't look very good, but I think that's what it was. Oh. Yeah. Because, I mean, the, the the surrounding stuff around the puddle just looked like the rest of the grass. But maybe, like, maybe it's because it was, like, leaves in the in the trees and leaves on the ground. Maybe, and they yeah. were the same color. But why would you? Uh, it may have just, been a CGI puddle. I don't know. I don't know. It struck me as, like, a looking puddle like of just, CGI like, just unprocessed I, I, I computer I decided it was a puddle because nothing else makes any fucking sense. And while this film certainly doesn't do a great job of making sense, I don't think it quite got to there is a reflection for literally no reason at any point. Yeah. The scene where um, 
what's his name? Like, uh, uh, Tara and Coral are supposed to meet, like, at the university, and then he shows up, and he's just like, I'm sorry, they made me, because they had, like, interrogated him very quickly. Yes. Um, and, like, found out what's going on. But was it her plan was to meet him at the university, right? No, she, she told him to meet her at the train station. Is that, where does he, but he meets her at the train station. Yeah. Well, but he didn't come alone is, I think, the thing. Like, was they're waiting it? for him. Like, I think she was – I don't know why the fuck she would expect her phone not to be tapped for that matter. I'd sort of assume, you know, that as soon as you say anything out loud, you're probably fucked. But yeah. uh, it, of all the things in the movie to worry about, you know, I can't get too yeah. riled up about it. I want to talk theologically speaking, though. Having uh, – the, the, there's a couple things here. There, There is – the gargoyles seem to know they're going to heaven when they die. And yes, heaven is presumably... They ascend, as they very uh, yes. pissily stated to Frankenstein. Yes. And, and, and it's heaven, right? I mean, they know... Not only do they know it exists and that they're going there, like, in a, with a degree of certitude that even, I think, the most faithful human doesn't really have. You can have yep. faith, but you don't have, like, mechanical knowledge, like, oh, yeah, and then I'll take the bus downtown. It's not that... Like it, it, it's it's something you can believe about what will happen in the unknowable yeah. time after death, but it's not like a, oh yeah, and then and then we go to heaven, yeah, you know. So the gargoyles have this really workaday understanding of this. It seems like like they are literally part of the legions of heaven. They know they're going to heaven. Heaven is like you know pretty great, basking in you know the eternal light of God and being able to be with your gargoyle crush who you're prohibited in your gargoyle real world time from you know getting your heavenly on with you know it seems like they'd be pretty on board with that you know and so we get the oh no sort of thing and maybe they're just annoyed that they got stopped from being badass by being killed but generally it seems like they'd be like yeah you know and it's not like the gargoyles seemed like they were being super super self-regarding about their combat and what so maybe this is sort of consistent but it seems like they would have been just like literally insane zealots in combat and just like you know been willing to like kamikaze into stuff because who cares like best case scenario is either they live through it and they get to kill some more stuff yeah. or they die and they're in heaven now you know yeah, they see, yeah the, the rest of the gargoyles seem really sad about their falling compatriots like well they're getting laid over at god's house now yeah i think that's what it is it's, they're, they're not sad that they're dead they're sad that uh they're not sad that the other gargoyles are dead. They're sad that the other gargoyles get to go, yeah, have a heavenly <laughs> orgy, and then they're still stuck down here. It seems like it would be really bad for morale. <laughs> yeah. And I realize, I, I mean, I, I guess God is, you know, um, omniscient, presumably still, more or less. I, I don't know. A lot of this movie, like, relies on the fact that God is either not present or fucked up and can't fix it directly. Well, I, I mean, arguably, you could say that's relatively consistent with most conceptions of like, – like, like the conception of, of God at this point as not acting directly in sort of an like obvious intervening way in uh, humanity. You know, that, that, that's a pretty consistent you know, way to approach the answer of why do bad things happen to good people? Well, because everything's – there's a mystical plan and, and, and God doesn't – you know go in and fix the dice per se in a super obvious way. So he's not going to come down and personally get involved in a slug fest or anything. Uh, so it's up to the gargoyles and humanity and demons and whatnot to resolve whatever. Yeah. It, it, but, but, but it, this, the movie is so dumb that it's kind of hard not to be like, Hey, yeah, why isn't God just sort of, you know, dropping the fucking hammer on this? Um, 
but yeah, I, I, I kind of want to say how much of what's going on here with the thing with Victor Frankenstein and the demons, how much of it is just God grumpy about the whole man creating life thing? Because like they don't explore, explore this at all. They sort of use it, they reference it as like it's supposed to be a big, deep sort of theological knife twist in this whole thing that the idea that man has created life and that's now out of the hands of God. But you would think that if that's something that bothered God, that's the sort of thing that would really bother God, right? You know, yeah. it's like either either creating life is the sole domain of God, in which case anybody doing it completely undermines the legitimacy mm-hmm. of God as, you know, all-powerful and sole creator in the universe, or uh, it's not a real big deal, in which case it's not a real big deal. You know, it, it, it's kind of hard to know how to go with – so I kind of wonder how much the gargoyles are just like, God is really fucking pissed about this creating life thing. Feeling pretty sensitive, so let's try and you know let's try and resolve this. It's it, let him get it off his mind. You know, let's let's just try and put a gibosh on this whole man creating life thing. You know, I don't know. I, Were I, the gargoyles around before? We built actual gargoyles? I don't know. Why don't were know. there giant stone statues of monsters just inexplicably here throughout all of history? It, it's a good question because, like, do the gargoyles we see in architecture exist because they were inspired by images of demons in etchings or whatnot? Or not demons, but, uh, you know, heavenly beings yeah. who hung around looking like stone monsters? Or, or, or did they adapt to the uh, architectural tradition and artistic tradition of gargoyles among humanity to say, oh, well, we can totally, from now on, this is what we look like. Let's stop looking like trees. We're going to start looking like these things because then we can hang out near their architecture. We'll be able to see stuff. Uh, maybe there are no non-heavenly gargoyle statues in the world. Every gargoyle is actually literally one of these things and nobody knows where they came from. But once stone statues of monsters show up on your building, you just like, fuck it. I'm not saying yeah, maybe anything. In this universe, the fact You're that gargoyles move around and fly and stuff is just like, oh, well, they moved again. Yep. They're just like, that's – humanity is just like having, again, with the secret war. The secret war that no one knows about involving mysterious demon statues that uh, everybody knows. The secret war is just like localized to Western Europe. And that's the entire war is being fought there because they didn't really do much with gargoyles anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> Until very recently, it's like there's two two two, two buildings in New York where yeah. the Secret War has a an outlet. Uh, yeah, no, it's a, yeah, it's hard to say. It's it, the in- the chicken and egg problem with the gargoyle thing. Is, <laughs> the entire southern hemisphere of Earth is controlled by demons. Well, and here's another thing: Why do they turn into gargoyles when they can look like completely normal humans? Fashion sense aside, it seems like it'd be a lot easier to just walk around looking like humans. You know, it's not like it's not like well, being a gargoyle, like being in gargoyle form on a building gives you a better ability to be on a building. Like you just if you just want to be high up, go to the roof, just hang out on the roof, turn into the gargoyle when you need to fly. Yeah, I, th- I think we, we haven't addressed one of the more important question, though, is are the gargoyles from the Disney cartoon series gargoyles these kind of gargoyles or a different kind of gargoyles? And if so, do they both exist? And I don't know because I, I never I never watched gargoyles, actually. I mean, I, I've seen little tiny bits of it, but I, I was never like, you know, someone watching it's, the show. I, I watched a bunch of it and it's one of those shows with like a really hardcore following. Yeah, uh, I, that I, is an intense fandom. Yeah, I, 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 fandom. And I have the impression that it was pretty decent as far as that goes. You know, a lot of people... Uh, were, sorry. I, uh, I enjoyed some of it. It I'm, got better later on. 
I might have that impression primarily from hardcore fans of it, so who knows? Yeah, uh, hardcore fans of things really give bad impressions it, of the it, things. It's like, tricky. Yeah, it's like it's like they're biased by being hardcore. Thanks fans. to Tumblr, I like nothing. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, jeez, I've got a few other notes, but I, I'm mo- I'm mostly spent. Here's one question here, though. You want to reanimate dead bodies to get soulless living humans to then toss a possessing demon into uh, and, and doom the world with an army of undead. And you spend hundreds of years working on this problem, presumably amassing and spending tremendous amounts of money. Why not just hire actual shitty human beings as a private mercenary army and, and go that route? Like it seems like if, if your goal is it's just harder to destabilize. It's definitely harder to kill people than it is demons in this movie. Seems like it. Uh and, and it seems like you could you could just muster some ser- like you could just become a you know uh, immortal dictator essentially and uh, use the fact that you have different priorities than humanity about the survival of humanity to foment uh, you know thermonuclear global exchange that wipes out most of humanity. Like why not do that and then clean up afterwards with demons instead of like starting from the no 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 gotta figure out how to have an army of demons we're gonna do this with science approach you know it just seems like. I wonder if Niberius just like sort of was a little bit too tetchy and precious about his specific desires for how to accomplish taking over humanity. Also, when the the, the, the shirt came off in the scene where they're back in, was that his shitty apartment? Frankenstein's shitty apartment where they went? I mean, it has up? to be. Otherwise, they broke into a shitty apartment that has nothing but a bed and the exact stuff he needs in the medicine cabinet. Yeah. Well, and the other thing I was like, it could have been hers, but there's no way it was hers. So... Yeah, so his, his shitty apartment with appealing paint and everything. But yeah, the, he takes off his shirt, and that's like the, the word that leapt into my mind is Hunkenstein. <laughs> uh, they don't do much with that scene, but they definitely go for like the she glances at and she glances away, and, and there's this moment of like, you know, plotted electricity of, oh my gosh, maybe. Oh, but, yeah, there, there was definitely like when, he, when she like turns around and he's got his shirt off, she's just like, oh, damn. Yeah, yeah. It's like, Which oh. is funny because, like, at the beginning of the movie, when he's just walking into that club, like, you see people's like reactions to him. But I don't know what I'm supposed to be reading from their facial expressions because, from the look of it, it's just like, man, Aaron Eckhart looks fucked up. <laughs> I think it was sort of just like a generic, uh, you know, walking into the the bar in a western, but modern styles, like yeah. walking into the bar and people were like, meh. How did, why did the bouncer let him in? Like I, I that did not seem like the kind of shit. The bouncer <laughs> yeah. was like, you know what? This club sucks. I'm gonna quit. Sure, come in, you big fucking scar mess. I don't, I don't know. Why not? Let's so see what happens tonight. I can still throw you out later if I want. And nothing happens in the club at all. He just he walks in there and walks right back out. I just realized that whole scene is pointless. Yep. They, they could have just like because I mean they walks in, him, sees like, a guy, follows the guy. But no, we don't guy, know anything no, about the guy. he walks out, and then the guy follows him. Isn't that what happens? No, I think the, the, the guy walks out, he follows a guy, some other guys follow him. Okay. But not that seven of them. That was conveyed. Yeah, it, I think that's what it was. But it, cinematically, this movie, the cinematic language of film is not shining particularly in this film. There was a lot of edits that and, and direction that seemed sort of just like you can sort of piece together, oh, I guess that's what it was. But at the same time, it's not really gripping visual storytelling. Uh, between the explosions, um, I liked. I liked that he gave uh, Tara the hand dagger, whatever thing, the funky punchy knife. 
Um, yeah. And then she just like immediately loses it. And it clear, yep. again, this is one of those, oh, we've got we've to set this up. Later, he needs to figure out that something's up. And so he needs to find something. So he'll find the knife that she has because he gave him the knife. And so, yeah, she gets it. She takes uh, half a swing with it, gets nowhere, drops it. It, it, it. It's the fucking knife from Silent Hill all over again. Like, just like, I'm taking this. I'm dropping it out of my boot when I jump five minutes later. And nothing interesting happens. Yep. Uh, yeah, there's... Let's see. I've got a couple other notes. But just, just in general, this film was not good is <laughs> no is what i'm slowly finding my way to saying uh you know okay there's there's one of the things i mentioned from my little recap of the actual uh mary shelley novel uh is that there's the whole building uh a companion bride of frankenstein and that's skipped over entirely in the quick synopsis at the beginning of the film uh but then he does bring that up to dr tara later on uh where he actually mentions the fact that uh, Victor was going to make him uh, a companion, and that he's basically asking Tara to do so instead. You know, take what she's learned from Victor's notes and and build him that. And I don't I don't remember if she even gives him an answer one way or the other, but he asks, so it ties it back to that. But then at the same time, they really seem to be trying to set up you know the predictable chemistry between him and Tara. And it seems like by the end of the film, they've got sort of like that's that's connected, even if it hasn't been particularly sealed with a kiss or anything. Um, so I, 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 what I wonder about is their long-term relationship. Like, I feel like in the short term, they're going to get together because he's lonely and is looking for a relationship. She seems sort of interested in him, curious about him. So I, I feel like this is my, this is my theory of where this happens while Carl's running around during I, Carl having Carl adventures. We also get some B roll of these two. Uh, they get into a relationship, uh, a physical and emotional relationship. Um, at first, it's wonderful, but then she realizes she has trouble relating to this emotionally stunted guy who has no uh, significant amount of humanity in him. He realizes that he's tired of trying to deal with someone who has a bunch of human society expectations and is also relatively squishy and fragile compared to his great big monstrous self. And so he comes around to kind of wanting to go back to that, hey, can you build me a Bride of Frankenstein thing? But by the time he does that, their relationship's been souring a bit, and so she's really resentful, partly because she's been expecting that for a while. And and what we end up with is the fallout of him trying to get his increasingly ex-girlfriend to build him a new girlfriend and her being a combination of horrified and resentful uh, about the fact that that is something he would even bring up because, Jesus, how can you, man? Uh, that's 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 where I see them going long term, and eventually she'll grow old and die, and he'll keep being his youthful Hunkensteiny self. Uh, isn't that great? Hang on, isn't that plot of Highlander? Kind of, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Basically, I think the next the next and he does look kind of like uh, what's his face did in Highlander. Yes, so I I Carl will also be uh, a Highlander sequel um, and a Matrix sequel because it'll turn out it's all taking place in the Matrix. And a sequel to the Disney Channel's iCarly. Yes, yes. Uh, and, uh, and then the third film will be a uh, live-action 3D movie about uh, Disney's Gargoyle series that ties it all together. So I think that's I think that's pretty much I think that's where we're going with this series, and I'm really looking forward to it because I think there's a lot of uh, fun, exciting storytelling uh, possibilities there. God, this movie's a piece of crap. <laughs> Why did you make us watch this? What were you thinking? I and you had know. seen some of this. The thing, this is the thing that you had saw. You saw some of this. You turned it off because it's terrible. And then 
on Friday, you're like, hey, let's watch this movie. And it was either this or Mortal Kombat Annihilation, and you better be thankful I didn't make you watch Mortal uh, Kombat Annihilation. I suppose so. The fact that it's a sequel that I don't know to a movie, like, I would feel questionable about us watching Mortal Kombat. For a movie original. that starts exactly where the previous movie le- uh, leaves off, it is, not a se- it is not very much a sequel. Oh, and so was it the second Mortal Kombat film, like after it, it, Mortal it was, Kombat? So it starts exactly where Mortal Kombat, the film, leaves off, like at the exact same moment. But it's not a very, it's not very sequely. It doesn't, you know, it's it's just a different movie with roughly the same characters and some of the same actors, but not even the same characters, really. Well, too bad we missed out on that. So that, I, I think basically for the next episode, we've come up with a, an actual horror movie that's not terrible. I think that's yeah. We'll try and figure that out. I one 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 more note about this movie that I want to point out: they end the movie with the title of the movie in the movie. Oh, the titular line. Yeah, they landed the fucking. They they stuck the fucking landing right there like that. I could think of no better way to end this movie <laughs> than by having Frankenstein give a short monologue in which he poetically structures. I something something I something something I Frankenstein just put a fucking stake at the end of that sentence because you have fucking buried it Mission <laughs> and then the credits the Evanescence credits yeah or whatever the hell band it is um yeah that, that was like the perfect ending to this movie just monologuing on a rooftop to Nobody, I guess, to the camera. No, no, he makes. Does he make eye contact with the camera at that point? Uh, no, I think, I, think, I, think, I think it's sort of like a shot of him, sort of at a three quarters hero pose, staring off into the distance. Uh, is what I, I think I remember, but I was rolling my eyes so hard. Turns his head around to make eye contact with the camera as he like speaks the last line. It, it's but possible. That could just I mean, be my desire. I was, for that I was event. seriously, I, I, I saw it coming. You know, from 10 seconds away, and I got so excited about how fucking dumb it was and that they were going to do it and it's going to happen that I, I, I may have squeezed my eyes shut in horrified delight when he landed the line. I don't know. I was laughing pretty hard. Uh, so I, I can't tell you that he didn't uh, at the last moment there. But I think, I think mostly it was framed as sort of staring uh, off. off. And frame. he had switched his weapons. He was holding the uh, – what do you call it? The um – Oh, what the hell? What was he holding on to the... Oh, he was holding on to, like, the axe heads from Gideon's axe. Oh, yeah. He didn't even keep the axe. He just kept the heads that he holds on to, like, uh, little cleavery things. Yep. Which handy. You know, that's an after-together axe. It, it's, yeah. it's, it's versatile. I feel like that was, like, the movie poster shot, and, like, that was the cooler weapon they had. And so they just had to throw that in so they could justify using it on the poster or something. Because, yeah, I kind of expected him to be using those uh, hand blades throughout the whole thing. And so when he takes collie sticks at the beginning, I'm like... What the fuck? Where's your hand blades, man? Where's your fucking hand blades? Uh, can I give you a quick pitch for uh, uh, my my own take on the Frankenstein story? Because this is an sure. idea I've had for years, and it's been one of my, I should really write a book, and I keep not getting around to it. But uh, this was, I first had this thought back when, like, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies uh, mm-hmm. came along, and that became that short-lived thing of, like, hey, let's take classic literature but then updated a little bit to also involve some horror movie stuff um so my idea was to do that but with frankenstein sort of and turn frankenstein into a sort of buddy dramedy thriller called double frankenstein (laughs) and here's the way it works it opens just like the book does more or less uh that i described at the beginning of the podcast you have you have frankenstein 
you have Victor Frankenstein in the Arctic, and he is found by these guys locked in the ice on this voyage. And they take him aboard and nurse him to health, and he tells his story, is, is how the book structures it. In my version, instead what they find is the dog sled is being mushed by a very large man, and there's another man wrapped up on it. And the large man calls out to the ship and says, help, you must help us. And they, they let them both on board. And the large man is Frankenstein's monster. But he doesn't introduce himself. He, he's, he's just a big, weird, ugly-looking dude. And he's like, this is, this is my friend. You must help him. Uh, and so they, they nurse Fe- Fre- Dr. Frankenstein back to health. And then Frankenstein Monster instead tells the story or tells much of the story of what happened. And the story is basically a, a, an arcing-off parallel version of the actual novel where you get up to the point where Dr. Frankenstein brings his creature to life and it opens its eyes and looks at him and he becomes horrified at his, what, what he's done and overcome by a desire to undo his horrible, ungodly creation. And this comes to the head with sort of an argument and a confrontation between the two of them in his laboratory, but it's interrupted before it can really get out of hand by someone trying to break into the laboratory and attack them both. Uh, and so they end up realizing that neither of them particularly wants to be dead right that moment and something is trying to kill them both, and so they run off. And so they become unlikely, unwilling partners trying to figure out what's going on and why someone is trying to kill both of them. And it turns out what it is is it's Frankenstein's original monster. And this all you know Trump comes out in plot twists later on in the book. Mm-hmm. The big deal is as Dr. Frankenstein and Frankenstein's monster – uh, let's call him Frank for the purposes of simplicity. Uh, Victor and Frank are wandering around uh, Europe like Victor does in the original novel to some extent uh, and s- doing the buddy cop thing of slowly getting to uh, uh, get along with each other even though they're so different and they begin to understand each other and explore one another's perspective on existence and humanity all that. Uh, they're being chased by this thing. Uh, Victor figures out that what happened because he, he starts picking up pieces of his notebook that is littered all over Europe uh, and he figures out that this is not the first time he has created life and what happened was he created the original Frankenstein's monster and then reacted badly and rebuked it and then escaped from it uh, he also gave himself uh, brain surgery in desperation to avoid creating life again but too afraid to actually kill himself he gave himself brain surgery to remove the part of his brain surgically that understood how to create life and all of his memories of that. And so that he ended up showing up like years later back at home and they're like, Victor, where have you been? He's like, I don't know. I don't remember anything. Years are gone, but, but I'm glad I'm home and everything was fine for a while. But then he started getting ideas again because something, that inherent idea of creating life, he couldn't get away from. And so he started over without knowing he was starting over to learn how to do it again. And he creates a new monster. So he failed to stop himself from creating life. And he's being pursued by the much angrier original monster, but he did a better job on the new one. And together they managed to... Uh, escape and eventually defeat somehow the original monster and Victor and Frank end up finding this ship up in the Arctic. And then maybe the original monster isn't destroyed or avoided and it catches up on the ship too and there's a big battle royale at the end on the ship between Victor and Frank and the sailors and the original Frankenstein's monster and I don't know how it ends exactly. But that's that's the big plot. It's it's It, it loops back on itself. It's a... Yeah, so that's double Frankenstein. And, uh, Have you watched Penny Dreadful at all? No. So um, I guess, hey, fast forward to the next couple of minutes if you don't <laughs> want to hear spoilers for the end of the second episode of the first season of Penny Dreadful. But like at the end of the first episode, like one of the characters is it's, – it's sort of like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but just – 
different and and just very very gothic horror-y. Um, and just you know, one of the characters is Doctor Frankenstein. At the end of the first episode, you know, he creates life and he makes this like you know like sort of patchwork man. And during the second episode, you know, he takes him on a date. Basically, <laughs> I mean, he just sort of like puts you know clothing on him and gives him a name and takes him around town and gives him some nuts and introduces him to like a a person to whom he's nice. And then you know he's just like sort of like you know is kind of like a, a a very just slow guy who just and then he begins to have memories of like his life when he was alive. And it's just like, oh no, it's, you know, where's the, where are they going with this? Is it going to be like the thing about him trying to regain the humanity in his brain, but his body's different? And then, like, all the way at the end of the episode, like, of the second episode, uh, Dr. Frankenstein and his creation are talking, and all of a sudden his creation gets, like, this horrible look in his face, and he just splits into two, just, like, drops dead, like, ripped in half, and behind him is, like, this hulking monster being like, hey, remember me? And um, that's you know that was the original Frankenstein's God monster that has it. come back to to haunt him, and then the entire like rest of the series he just like literally becomes like Frankenstein's nice guy, where it's just like this miserable emo monster who doesn't know why the girls don't like him. It's worst character of the show, and everybody hates him. Ah, oh, goddamn it! And that's totally stepping on it too, because like ah, well maybe I'll do it sometime and do it better anyway. Yeah. Uh, or maybe really I'll good just... show though. Really like super good. Yeah, horror no, I, show. I've heard people seem to seem to like it a lot. I I, I didn't uh, know he was in horry. I just knew it was sort of periody. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's definitely like gothic horror. My only complaint about this is that all of Billy Piper's dialogue is incomprehensible. I don't know anything <laughs> she said throughout the entire show. Doesn't really matter because you can sort of get it by the tone of her voice. But I do not know anything she said during this entire show. She plays like a, a Irish or Scottish prostitute dying of consumption. So like you know, all of her lines are like you know in a gravelly voice, interrupted by like violent hacking. Yeah. Um. And and but yeah, no, no idea what she said during the show. <laughs> really good show though. Some like really like good TV horror twists. That it didn't see coming, um, and yeah, nice. I enjoyed it very much. We'll have to check it out. Yeah. All right. I don't want to talk uh, about that anymore. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was that was. Uh, we got through that. We got through yeah. it together, and that's the important thing. We're here for each other. Uh, <laughs> I wonder if anybody's still listening. I don't know. Uh, just out of horrified sympathy, maybe. Um, <laughs> we'll have to figure out. We'll, we'll, we'll watch something uh, decent. For next fortnight, I'm glad. Hey, but we did a fortnight. We did it in a yeah, fortnight. Yeah, we did. So but we're kind of back on schedule. Yeah, that's 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 something. That's exciting. So, uh, so yeah, we'll uh, we'll figure out uh, something new and we'll post about it. And uh, we just apologized to everybody about this uh, film choice, but uh, you know, it was it wasn't very long. It was it like maybe it was like ninety minutes, something like that. Maybe a little. Yeah, more. we definitely talked about it longer than the movie. Yep. So you know, mission accomplished. Uh, and yeah, check out uh, all the things and the such, the Facebook, the Tumblr, rate things. Rate us up on iTunes. Uh, yeah. Pester us on Facebook. We'll yeah. respond to yeah. most stuff. And, yeah, uh, there was uh, somebody actually uh, wrote up a very, very loving description slash personal history of Nightbreed, like in the comments. Yeah. I mean, it was like, you know, a good solid, like six paragraphs of. Uh, very nice writing about Nightbreed, so if you thought that we did not treat it fairly, um, which <laughs> we kind of didn't, um, you should probably go on the Facebook and read, uh, uh, who wrote that? Was it Benjamin Dionysus? I think it was him. Give me one sec. Yeah, no, uh, I, I also got an email from, 
a listener, uh, I think a listener in Germany, uh, sending along the script Bonnell. for uh, Bonnell wrote ah, it. Sent us, sent me the, the 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 script tonight, Breed too, which was nice because I had not tracked that down. So, what is that like thirty pages? <laughs> but yeah, anyway, so yeah, comments, comments are nice, communication <laughs> nice. We'll write back to you. It's it's nice hearing from people. That's 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 half the reason we do this. The other half is because we hate ourselves. Um, <laughs> Clearly not enough, though. <laughs> we'll keep working on it. All right. Well, thanks for listening, and uh, yeah, we'll see y'all uh, in a fortnight. Good night, everybody.